For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. You'll forgive me if I'm just a tad looking something up. The I think the Bombers are, are playing a little bit of subterfuge. They came out with their depth chart for tomorrow's Grey Cup. Uh, and listed as game time decisions are both uh, Adam Big Hill and Dalton Schoen. But uh, something tells me that it's unlikely either of those guys are going to be able to suit up tomorrow in the Grey Cup when the Bombers and the Alouettes take uh, take the field. But it is worth noting that they are listed on the depth chart, both of them, as game time decisions for tomorrow's Grey Cup between the Bombers and the Owls. So there's your Bomber update. I'm sure we'll touch on that throughout the course of the next couple of hours. We say good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. And for all those joining us live on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms we say good morning universe and welcome to the illegal curve hockey show with dave manuk with ezra ginsburg i'm your host drew mandel here for the next couple hours we're going to touch on the jets we're going to touch on the bombers i'm sure as well we'll touch on this that and everything looking back at last night's jets victory and getting you set for tonight's jets coyotes game the jets homestand wraps up the jets have an opportunity to certainly make it an even more successful one, put some distance between themselves and the Coyotes as the Coyotes sit two points behind the Jets entering tonight's contest. Gentlemen, good to see you both. It's been a whopping uh, 11 hours since we last got together, but nonetheless, it is uh, nice to see you on this Saturday morning. Likewise, boys, what's happening? Yeah, busy weekend with the Jets games and the Bombers and Alouettes in the Grey Cup. First time ever we've seen that matchup because, of course, those two teams are in the East. So yeah, it's uh, it's exciting, and you know we broke all the goals down on last night's post game show. That was maybe the ugliest win of the season for the Jets, but you know it's a, it's a win. It's two points, and even though the Sabers made a good push there, Hellebuck had to make some key saves. So um, you know we talked about it. You know nine of uh, eleven games the Jets have uh, gained at least a point, and you know they're they're staying right up there with Colorado and Dallas. Dallas has pulled away a little bit. Uh, but that's what you got to do. Dave always talks about, you know, at this point in the season, as we're leading up to American Thanksgiving, right? Just keep getting those points. And obviously, you know, Lauren Brassois is going to get the start tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Coyotes have proven to be actually a pretty good matchup for the Jets. They're not really a pushover anymore, boys. No, they certainly aren't. They've uh, they've got some talent. Eight, six, and two. The Coyotes are, you know, a plus seven goal differential. But the Jets, Dave, know that they can beat the Coyotes. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, I don't think they ever thought that they couldn't, but they did beat them uh, a couple weeks ago, as we touched on uh, two weeks ago Saturday or two weeks ago today in in Tempe in front of the the capacity crowd at Mullet Arena. The the Jets defeated the Arizona Coyotes on that Saturday afternoon contest. So they do have that. Uh, uh, in their back pocket that they can use maybe as motivation or use as well, really whatever they want to use it as. I'm not even sure if they'd use it for anything other than knowing that probably last night's game wasn't their best effort and not the way that they want to play if they want to be successful, you know, game in, game out. At the same time, though, it was nice to see from the Jets' perspective sort of Connor Hellebuck return to form uh, as he's not been Hellebuckian uh, so far this season, more or less. Yeah, you stole it out of my out of my lips, Drew. It was definitely a Hellebuckian uh, type of performance, with the exception of probably six minutes in that second period. But associate coach Scott O'Neill didn't make any bones about it, right? He he was clear that their their effort wasn't good enough, and that the Sabers were very good in that game. Mm-hmm. And the Sabers, you know, 
did a lot of things that the Jets weren't able to prevent. So, I mean, he was he was pretty obvious. It was pretty obvious if you listen to that availability, which of course was available on our YouTube channel, uh, was that he was clearly not happy with with the, the overall game that his team played. But again, he'll take those two points and he'll run with it. And a little bit of palace intrigue this morning with the Moose mm-hmm. heading to Toronto to take on the Marlies this afternoon. The Jets made an emergency recall. Folks haven't heard that yet of Dominic Toninato. So uh, they are holding, uh, I was told, a very limited optional morning skate because it is a home and home. So the Jets will, some Jets may take the ice at 10.30 this morning. And we know that associate coach Scott O'Neill uh, will be speaking sometime around 10.30, uh, depending on how heavily optional it is. And then, uh, or attended, I should say, sorry. And if, uh, so he'll speak probably just before uh, this, the end of our show at some point, and we'll get some sort of indication as to uh, why they've recalled Dominic Tottenato, whether it's for injury, whether it's due to play. So we'll find that out uh, sometime, hopefully, before the end of this broadcast. Tony Nato played for the Moose last night in Belleville. Is that right? He did. He did. He had an assist in the win. He had a nice screen, which led to a goal. So, uh, you know, he had, he, had a good, he had a good rebound game, as I discussed last night, as did most of the Moose. It will be interesting. I wonder, yeah. So, I mean, clearly you would think somebody is is banged up, whether or not they're banged up enough that they have to be out of the lineup for tonight's game. We will find out, you know, either this morning or right before puck drop at 6 o'clock uh, the, this, this evening. But this Winnipeg Jets team going through a little bit of an injury bug right now. You know, we talked about, we, we sort of glossed over it, but I think it probably deserves a couple minutes worth of conversation. The injury to Rasmus Kupari. So, you know, he's out five to seven weeks. It happened on, uh, on Tuesday night. He goes into the boards and Dave M uh, proved to be the doctor in the press box saying that it was his uh, shoulder where others thought it was a, a wrist or a, uh, whatever Clavicle. other people said but you know it's not obviously the most significant injury but it definitely does cut into the depth and the depth that the Jets had in their forward group particularly was one of their strong suits and one of their assets you know, so far this year. And then all of a sudden, if Kupari's out of the lineup and we know that Velarde's out of the lineup still, you know, all of a sudden you begin to sort of chip away at that depth. Now, injuries are going to happen in the course of the season, no matter what. No one's ever going to stay healthy for and play the same 12 forwards, you know, 82 games. But it does begin to impact the Jets' depth and it impacts the sort of the ability for the Jets to roll those four lines like we saw so often uh, early this year, as yeah, you're right. And the good news is that, you know, Velarde is close, right? We don't know exactly when he's going to be back, but I think it's safe to say he'll be back in the next couple of weeks, right, Dave, based on what we've been told. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's fair to say. So he's getting very close, which is right around the timeline for his injury, right, which I believe was four to six weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, Rasmus Kupari has, has fit in nicely, Drew, on the fourth line. I think he only had the the one assist. And I, if I'm not mistaken, he hasn't scored a goal yet this year. Um, but, you know, he's had a lot of scoring chances. And I think what stood out is how versatile he is. And I think a lot of people didn't realize how big he is. But I think, you know, he's been a... Um, he is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, the Jets, you know, look, Axel Janssen Fialbi, I thought was good last night. I think, you know, he's perfectly fine in a fourth line wing role. We know David Gustafson, you know, he can play up the middle. And Dave mentioned Dominic Toninato, um, if he needs to come in. I mean, my best guess guys would be that you go with the exact same lineup maybe Nate Schmidt goes in for Logan Stanley I don't think you're going to see necessarily Tony Nato go in for Janssen Fialbi that and and it's because like I said I mean it he he did exactly what you expect out of him right like aggressive mm-hmm. four checker you know he's 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 got the speed he you just want like a good seven to ten minutes out of mm-hmm. Axel Janssen Fialbi where 
eight know, and a half last night, three hits. I mean, you know, exactly, you know, no, I mean, he doesn't bring any offense to the game to speak of, you know, I, who, again, I, I've used this line before, but whomever said, does his game change if he were, if he has a stick or if he doesn't have a stick is probably fairly accurate, but you, you, you know, while you say that, but he had six goals and 14 points in 50 games last year. Like, right. like that's not nothing. I mean, I don't get me wrong, Drew. I, I mean, I don't think anybody's expecting Janssen Fialbi to score a hat trick tonight versus Arizona. But he actually does have, you know, like, look at he's he's a crash and banger. I think you guys would agree that, you know, he's a guy that, you know, at the NHL level, his ceiling probably is the fourth line. But good for him. Right. You know, he signed the two year deal after he became a I think he was an RFA. Right. And I believe his contract next year is one way. Right, Dave. Sorry, I think he was a UFA. Is he? Sorry, he was a UFA, but his contract is one way next year, if I'm not mistaken. His contract is two way, two way this year and one way next year. But the point is, I think he's a valuable guy. And Drew's right right about that, as yeah, you are. Yeah, so you, you, I just remember that from the summer. But yeah, you don't have Gabe Velarde and you don't have Rasmus Kupari. So Alex Ayafalo is the only remaining uh, LA King, if you want (laughs) want to say that, right? So Mm -hmm. it's going to affect the depth. But when you have three lines going, and that's what we talked about. Shifley's line, obviously, you know, is is your top offensive line. Lowry, Niederreiter, and Appleton, they've been good the whole year. And now Ehlers, Perfetti, Nemestikov is arguably playing their best hockey of the year, right? So it'll affect your depth, but Velarde's coming back, so I don't think you're you're that concerned. No, you're, I mean, you're, look, you're, you're not that concerned that it's, you know, that, that you know, that if the sky is falling or anything like that, don't get me wrong, but it is going to eventually whittle away your depth. And it'd be interesting. I mean, again, we don't know. I mean, I don't remember anybody sort of looking banged up last night during the game. So we don't know who Tony Nato is been recalled for. If it's somebody specific or if it's just precautionary, you know, you wondered the jets maybe consider going 11 and seven, like they did on Tuesday mm-hmm. night. Uh, you know, with Nate Schmidt out of the lineup yesterday, Logan Stanley, you know, the 11 and seven, which I typically don't love, you know, it, it was okay on Tuesday. It was okay on on uh, on Tuesday night, and the second mm-hmm. half of a back to back. Now, maybe that might be a little bit too uh, stressful on the forward group, having to play two in a row and now doing a one man short. But you know, you do wonder if that becomes a consideration for the coaching staff of the Jets tonight entering the game. Again, this is all with the the caveat and the and the, and the comment that we don't know why. Tony mm-hmm. Nato has been recalled. We don't know who's well, suffering from what. We also uh, don't fully know why David Gustafson took the game day, the, the pregame skate, like Dave said. I mean, I know we were told, I think, that he was just a healthy scratch, but yeah. that's kind of weird that he would take the, the skate. So, I, I, you know, if I had to play the speculation station game, Dave, I would say mm-hmm. it might be Gustafson who's dealing with something. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think that's a good point of looking at it, and I agree with you. Like, I thought it was a little curious. Like, if you knew you were going with Logan Stanley, you knew you were going 11 and 7, I guess the only way you potentially keep David Gustafson in, if, if it's not Gustafson, perhaps whichever other forward it had been as, maybe that person was dealing with something. And so you have Gustafson warm up in case that person can't go and you just scratch them. So, look, it, it's clearly we'll find out hopefully within an hour and a half, and uh, we'll be able to share it with everyone here. But uh, regardless, the, the reality is for the Jets is that they'll have Dominic Conato and they'll have that one. Because remember, guys, they've been running lean, right? Like they have the exact number of forwards to play uh, a, a game. They didn't have anybody extra. So now they'll have that one extra body, potentially. We don't know, again, if there was an injury. But uh, again, that's the that's the whole point of when you're running the team a team leanly like that and accruing cap space the way the Jets have been, that they're sitting there going, okay, well, you know, you might have a situation where the Moose aren't in town. 
Now, again, I suspect as that if someone was banged up before the moose had left, they probably would have made that recall to some mm -hmm. significant degree. They didn't, obviously. Did Tony so, play yesterday for the moose? Did, or was he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, okay. he played. So he yeah, was yeah, on the he, road. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was on the road. So he had he had an assist in the win. And uh, like I said, he played a decent game. I mean, again, from what I saw, I didn't watch obviously the whole game because I was watching the Jets game at the same time. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, we'll see what happens with Tonato, but uh, and, and if he comes in or if it's just potentially it's just insurance. I mean, Scott Arneal, when he was asked about going 11 and 7 by Mike uh, McIntyre, the Winnipeg Free Press on Friday, it was either Thursday or Friday, but I think it was Friday. He didn't love the idea, didn't love it. And Drew's right. I think going back to back and, and the forwards enjoy it because they get more ice time. But, yeah. you know, that's having just played a game last night. So I suspect you don't want to be overly taxing of your team because, you know, you can run into injuries that way. So um, we'll see what happens with the Jets. Maybe it's I hate just to agree with Drew here, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's 7-11. I'm not saying that I like 7-11. Honestly, like, I, I, I'm Eddie, not. Eddie, we know you love 7-11. Yeah, I was going to say. You're, you're just saying that otherwise. I, I wasn't trying to be funny there. I was I was trying to say, like, you know, we would have to get somebody with tons of coaching experience to really, you know, talk about the pros and the cons of, you know, 7 and 11 versus 6 and 12, right? Because 6 defensemen, 12 forwards is the standard, right? That's what most NHL teams, most hockey teams in, in any level, at any level, are playing, right? But just because of the, as Drew mentioned, second game of a back-to-back, -back, David Gustafson or another forward could be a little bit banged up, plus... I mean, Logan Stanley and Nate Schmidt right now, nobody really seems to have hold of that number six defenseman spot, right? So I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not going to give a Ginsburg guarantee here and say that it's going to be 7-11. and 11. I'm just saying I won't be surprised, whereas the, the Jets-Devils game, I think that caught us by surprise, right? Because we Absolutely. just thought Gustafson was going to play, Dave, and then Logan Stanley comes in, right? And then you go, so it was uh, just a little bit surprising there, but we'll see what happens. I think, you know, the Jets have options, and... You know, when you have guys like Toninato and Janssen Fialbi, you know, it, it, you're not worried about those guys coming into the lineup. Those are pro players, and especially Toninato, right? Like, he's a guy that, I mean, the Jets organization is very familiar with. So, again, it just shows you how good this Jets forward depth is because we're not even talking about, you know, maybe calling up a Brad Lambert or, you know, a, another forward, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that it should be Lambert, but, I mean, he, he is always an option with how well he's playing down with the moose, right, Dave? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, me personally, and my, I, I, my opinion was a no, just because they're playing with center and, and they don't want to stagnate his development. So you're not going to pull him up and do what they did with Rozovic, which is say he's going to be a center and then put him on the wing. I mean, obviously if you need a center, but I, I just don't know that they're wanting to rush him. I, again, I, I don't say, you, I would be of the opinion you may see Brad Lambert this year in a Jets uniform, but it'll be towards the end of the season more as a reward for, good play with the moose because right now he's trying you're trying your best with like the lucius's and the chibrikovs and the lamberts to let them develop and if you need guys to come up and play in a different role then it's going to be the actually onsen fielbies and the dominic toninatos right. and the jeffrey vls and that sort of thing over over any of these young prospects i could be wrong but i'd be more inclined to think that along those terms you know, I, I thought last night, you know, that David Gustafson really, I thought he had a, uh, an impressive showing last night. Uh, you know, granted, you know, he's playing, you know, just under 10 minutes last night, 9.36. But in the third period, particularly, when the Jets were struggling, I thought he was one of the Jets players that sort of stood out to me 
as, as, as trying to drag the team through the doldrums that they were in. If I recall correctly, there was a good, strong net drive uh, against Eric Comrie. I think that was the one where Comrie's uh, mask was knocked off uh, in the sequence. I think that was Gustafson who, who drove that net there. And there were a couple times where he just looked like a sort of a bigger player. He was playing bigger than we're used to necessarily thinking him as. And he's not small by any stretch, but of course he's been sort of slight uh, up to this point of his career, but it seems like he's sort of... Are you, you saying know, that David he... Gustafson is bulked up on creatine? Like, what are you saying here, Drew? No, I'm not saying that he's bulked up on creatine because that would be a very poor decision on his part. But I think that he's growing into his body, into his size, and is now able to use you know his size and, and the leverage that comes with that in, in a better manner than we've sure. seen him doing before in his career when, yes, you were tall, but you didn't necessarily have the, the width to go along with the height, uh, as opposed to me, who doesn't have the height to go along with the width that's my problem you see well done well done it's funny that was well done um yeah look at I, I think it was tough for Gus Bus to be a healthy scratch so we always talk about this right like Gabe Velarde goes down what does that mean it's an opportunity for somebody else Rasmus Kupari goes down who who gets the opportunity Axel Janssen Fialbi gets the opportunity right and we talked about it Velarde we expect to be back you know, sometime in the next couple of weeks. I don't think anybody's expecting him, Dave, to play in, in those Florida games against the Lightning and the Panthers. Uh, he mm-hmm. might be on the road, but I don't think anybody yeah. expects him to play. I think that would be a little bit too soon, but you're probably talking about the week after next week. But yeah, I, I think, you know, to your point, Drew, about Gustafson, I mean, look, Dave has been, Dave, I will always give him credit, was the originator of, of the Gus bus, not necessarily the nickname, but uh, Dave has been, you know, singing his praises you know, since he uh, turned pro. So I mean, he's a smart player. And I mean, I, I think we could debate, you know, what his ceiling would be at the NHL level. I mean, it could be a third line center, a third line winger, uh, but that's not a bad ceiling, right? And I think, you know, what always stands out is, you know, he's such a smart player. I realized that was thrown out a lot on last night's broadcast when talking about Cole Perfetti. I think Kevin Sawyer called him a thinker uh, at least five times. Um, I don't, I'd also like to be called a thinker. That's not necessarily the worst thing to be called. I've been called worse, Drew. You know that. You'd settle um, for that one time. Yeah, exactly. Just just for someone to acknowledge that I'm thinking would be would be nice, right? But yeah, Gustafson's a great player. And that's the thing, guys. Like That speaks to the depth. Last year, David Gustafson was a regular in the Jets lineup. Obviously, you know, with the injuries, he wasn't didn't play every single game. But uh, this year, I mean, he's the 13th forward. And Axel Janssen-Fialbi, same thing. Axel Janssen-Fialbi played 50 games last year. So... Yeah, I think, you know, Gustafson has been playing well uh, since coming into the lineup uh, for, for Gabe Velarde. And, uh, you, know, he, you know, he's already got two goals and, you know, he's going to get more. Um, but, yeah, I think once Velarde comes back, he might be the odd man out uh, when Kupari comes back, too. You know, it, well, and, and I was right, just going to say, Drew, it, no, I was simply going to add to Ezzy's point is that it, it is interesting. I mean, it's that whole idea of the depth that this Jets organization has that you're scratching your head okay Gabe Velarde who is as I said the next guy to return from injury uh it's still not a while not still a couple of weeks away but but is the next person to to return and you're like well what do you do right do you do you put him in his old spot and move Alex Iafallo if you do where do you move Alex Iafallo you finally got that second line humming along and producing and you've got the third line humming along and you throw Alex Iafallo from the first line to the fourth line do you put Gabe Velarde at center instead of Vlad Nemesnikov do you, I mean, what I do, so, I think. well, I don't know. I mean, Vlad Domestikov seems to have gotten Cole Perfetti going. Do you really want to, yeah. you know, arrest 
that sort of progress from from the 2020 first round. I don't think anybody so, wants to be arrested, Dave. Well, you never know, Ed. <laughs> Drew, Drew likes That's having cuffs slapped on his wrist. So, anywho, the wow, <laughs> but I'm bumping. So the point is that yeah, but there know, were, there was no prison anywhere around there. <laughs> Thank you, Ezra. And 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 those cups were fuzzy. <laughs> God, please. It's too early in the morning, and we have the intern in the chat. Let's keep this PC. So, anyways, the point is that it's it's a it's an interesting perspective. It's an interesting problem for the Jets to have is that you you have that depth now that before you'd be panicking. You'd put a player in to kind of fix the hole, and then that would be your permanent solution. It's like my parents with electrical work. Somehow, electrical cords replace actually getting the electricity fixed in that sort of thing it becomes what we call uh, a manuke temporary solution is generally a permanent solution but for the jets right now they what they have like a fire is fire hazard if you ask me most likely but the point is that uh you end up having a in this in this situation currently you have a problem problem in quotes for the people listening on the podcast that you have a lot of talent and you're going to have some problems now because your first three lines appear to be going and that's a good thing for the Winnipeg Jets and Philip Smithson was asking about the third line. Like, that's probably the one line I don't think you, you see really touched, right? Like, obviously, you know, Lowry and Niederreiter and Appleton have been fantastic together, right? Yeah. So I, I'm kind of with, with Drew there. Like, I, I think you keep Shifley, Connor, and, and I follow together. And I guess that means Nemesnikov gets bumped down to the fourth, li fourth line, which is crazy. But I like the idea of either Perfetti in the middle with Velarde and, and Ehlers or Velarde in the middle with Perfetti and Ehlers. So uh, we'll see what happens. But, I mean, again, these are great problems to have. The Jets have their best forward depth that they've had since that 2017-18 season. So I, I think, Dave, part of it is just you don't want to disrupt a line that's going really well. To your point, Nemestikov has been really good up the middle. But, I mean, Gabe Velarde has to be in your top six, right? Oh, there's yeah. I mean, that, that, I think that's that that's a that's a non-starter. Of course, he has to be in your top six. I mean, you know, it it, it is a conundrum because you know Connor Shifley and Ayafalo have been good. They've been you know they haven't had over fifty percent possession together, but they've been pretty good. I I would argue. I don't think anybody's really uh, particularly upset with with how they've played together, but. Connor Shifley and Velarde were so dominant. Now, albeit it was in 24 minutes of ice time at five on five. So it was in such a small sample size. It's hard to tell for sure, but they had almost 74% of the possession. So if you can, you know, I do think by going, the way that that will be the line that, that, you know, Rick bonus and or Scott O'Neill goes to, I'm just saying that I personally right would like to it probably at some point, I don't know if, you know, Velarde comes back and, and they go right back to it. But like you said, Drew in, what was it? Uh, game two or game three that Velarde got injured, right? Mm -hmm. So it was two Game or three two. games, but you're right. I mean, Velarde did seem like a really nice fit. And so that means probably that you go Ayafalo, Ehlers, Perfetti, right? But again, that's kind of a bit of a conundrum, right? To Dave's point, because, you know, is Nemestikov back to your fourth line? I mean, if, if Nemestikov is on your fourth line, there's no problem with that. But you almost wonder if you're kind of not using him to his maximum capacity, right? Well, Yeah, but I mean, I, mean, I would say that the difference is that, and you're right, Az, but I think it just goes to show you that you can now have four scoring lines. So as long as right. you're rolling out the lines with an effectiveness and, and an equalness, not necessarily absolutely equal, but at least you're giving them a little bit more than what we've seen in the past and allowing them to do something. And, and again, we've, we've talked about the fourth line, whichever the ever iteration of it, it there is, because I think all of those players can create that similar sort of identity. So whether it's Vlad Nemesnikov or David Gustafson or Morgan Barron or, you know, Axel Janssen, Fielby, or Rasmus Kupari, 
I think there is that you have that ability to say, wow, you actually have an effective fourth line, a fourth line mm-hmm. that can contribute to this team. So that's an important thing. We've talked about it, Ezzy. How many years have we talked about this Jets club not having a fourth line that did much other than hold water? Well, now you've got a fourth line, again, however it is, it is comprised. But at least this way, you, you've got something that can actually be thrown out there and potentially produce, not just stay at a, at, a, at a neutral number and not allow goals to be scored against it, but can actually produce goals for, for your team. And I think it's worth noting that coaches, you know, when, when, when presented with, with opportunities or presented with the challenges of making changes to your lineup because of players returning from injury, are usually going to err on the side of making as few changes as possible. Meaning, I don't know that they would necessarily want to start shuffling around all, you know, three out of the four lines all on the same game. Right. So Velarde comes back. I'd be surprised if all of a sudden you'd see a significant, uh, you know, a domino effect that is more than just sort of the bare minimum. Meaning, you know, let's say Velarde comes back, Ayafalo would move to the, let's say for argument's sake, uh, to the fourth line and bump Alex Janssen Fialbi. I don't think that necessarily coaches want to start putting Velarde back up with Shifley and Connor mm-hmm. and then moving Aya follow to you know the second line or the third line and then the second line going to the fourth line. I think they generally want to err on the side of making as few changes per game as possible, especially when things are going well as they have been for the Jets. Now, if they all of a sudden start to struggle and they're in a bit of a losing streak, well, then the blender can be, you know, blended for a little while longer and, and the ice cubes can be, you know, chopped up even finer than, than, than necessarily they would be if the things are going, are going well with the team. So that's also makes a good point too. I mean, like Lowry obviously is going to always center, uh, you know, the third line or some people are calling it the second line based on, on usage. Right. But I think, you know, the way Niederreiter has played with those two, I just, you know, I, I'm with you, Drew. I kind of lean towards, you know, Velarde either going back with Shifley and Connor yeah. or you keep Ayafalo up there and Velarde takes Nemesnikov's place uh, on right. the second line. And again, there's balance there, right? We put up the the comment by Rob Somerville. If you've got players like Vlad Nemesnikov and, and Morgan Barron and David Gustafson, you can play that fourth line, you know, 10 or 11 minutes, even 12 minutes if you want to because those guys have a higher ceiling uh, as we lose Dave Manouk, they have a higher ceiling than, you know, the Jets would have had last year. Dave M is back here. Good to have you back, Dave. Not sure what happened there. I think you're, uh, you're, you're stealing all the bandwidth as he, so uh, all of a sudden I was, I was, I was freezing. Even with your head on fire. That's hard to believe. I might have to turn my head off fire because I think that's sucking up all the bandwidth as well. Sorry, Dave. I was downloading season three of succession. Uh, I thought it was CSI, <laughs> but all good. It's a good show, as you'll you'll enjoy it. Maybe wait till after the show's over before you uh, fully enjoy it. Uh, quick update: uh, I know people have been asking about Rutger McGrory, who left the game last last night with Michigan, uh, left on a stretcher and was taken to hospital. Uh, no update is the is the update. So we haven't seen any word uh, come across the wire so far regarding his status. Obviously, not a great situation there uh, with the University of Michigan and the Jets' uh, f- uh, former first round pick. So we will see. 
if there is any updates, we will give them to you in the course of this morning's broadcast or later on, of course, on Illegal Curve. Dot com. When we come back, making his debut on the show, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure he is. No, Christian right. Amel from CJOB Radio is going to join us next for more Jets talk. It's a Saturday morning, the Jets and the Coyotes later tonight. But right now, it's the Jets. It's the Illegal Curve Hockey Show with Drew, Dave, and Ezzy. Don't go anywhere. We're live on our YouTube channel. The clock ticks past the bottom of the hour. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg with you on the Saturday morning. Reminder, later tonight, the Jets and the Coyotes, also known as the Coyotes. That's going to be a 6 o'clock puck drop, which means postgame 845 back here on our YouTube channel. We're thrilled to welcome to the program, making his debut here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show from CJOB. Christian Amel joins us. Dr. Evil. (laughs) <laughs> I was gonna say, is that a stuffed pet or is that a real pet? What do we have there? It's a Sully. He says hi. A Sully. <laughs> yeah, he'll probably make a scene at some point here. But right now he's being nice. Okay, so. well, we love pets on this show. So you, basically it's a rule. If you're if you have an animal in your house, uh, you have to bring it onto the show to join the three of us. Who well, hence the reason why Ezzy's on the show in my house right now. That's right. Charitably been called animals many times before. So, uh, well, Christian, Jason Bell, sports editor of the Free Press, when he comes on, he has his bird on his shoulder, oh, wow. and the bird's name is Marty Bird, which is incredible. But now we have it's uh, Sully. Yeah. Yeah. So now we have Christian with Sully. So now we have a, a couple of guests that will always come on with their pets. Yeah. I can't guarantee that uh, the next time you have me on, he'll be this cool, but we'll see <laughs> how the hour goes. And there's dogs in the house, too. They'll probably say something at some point. But right now, Sully's being a good boy. Well, there you go. It sounds like you got a whole barnyard going on over there, Christian. Anyways, we're thrilled that you're able to join us this morning. Big weekend, of course, uh, for you folks over at CJOB. You got a Jets game tonight. You got a Bomber game tomorrow. It's going to be a, a fun one, nonetheless, for the, uh, the 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 news and information leader here in Winnipeg on CJOB 680. Christian, obviously, to start with the Jets, we'll probably touch on the Bombers at some point as well. You know, we, we sit here and we're somehow almost at a you know the quarter mark of the season. By the time uh, next weekend rolls around, the Jets will have played. Uh, let me do some quick math: one, two, three, nineteen games in this season. So pretty close to that quarter mark, as I mentioned. Nine, five, and two. Very you know good start for the Jets. Everyone would say that they've been pleasantly surprised by their performance so far. From your perspective, it seemed you know the Jets seem to beat the teams that they beat, but yet are struggling maybe with those teams that are in that echelon a little bit above them. What's it going to take for the Jets to be able to move up into that next that next level, that next category where the Dallas Stars reside and where you know they haven't played the Colorado Avalanche yet, but where the Avalanche are said to reside or the Golden Knights? So how do the Jets move up one, that one more notch? Well, it's possible they don't, right? It's possible that this is just who they are. They're a team that's at the upper end of the middle class, I guess, where you've got Colorado, Dallas, Vegas. They lost to the Rangers. It was close, but New York's had a great start to the season. And we haven't seen them play Boston yet. But they might just be that team that beats most of the teams below them and can't quite get the teams above them. Potentially, if you're trying to map out the best case scenario for this team, I think it starts with special teams, right? Because the power play has been better. The penalty kill still isn't very good. Uh, They killed off two against Buffalo. Buffalo is one of the worst power plays in the league. So congrats. But uh, (laughs) Connor Hellebuck and Laurent Brassois have had really bad numbers on the penalty kill. And I know Murata Tesh wrote about this at The Athletic. Is it it the penalty kill bad because they're their save percentage is bad on the PK or is their save percentage on the PK bad because the PK is bad, right? So 
if Hellebuck steps up uh, on the PK and, and if he plays like he did last night, right? I think he was, we can agree, he was the number one reason they won last night. Mm-hmm. If that is the kind of Hellebuck that they get, continuing with the health that they've had, uh, with Velarde coming back soon, their continued strong run of play at five on five. And if you can add strong special teams on top of that, well, now we're talking about a, a top tier league or team, I think, because that's really what's been holding it back. If you look at the underlying metrics, this team has been really good at even strength this season and not good at all on special teams. So if you add that part to their game, I think that we're looking at a team that, you know, best of seven maybe could compete with those teams. They might lose two of three or three or four during the regular season, but get into the playoffs if you have that kind of goaltending, that kind of run of play, not kind of health because really, right, a lot of teams have injuries and the Jets have had really one major one so far. Aspis Kapari's hurt, but, you know, it's a fourth liner that some people thought should be maybe taken out of the lineup anyway. So the, the Velarde injury, if he's coming back, if they can stay healthy, then, yeah, that's... This could be a team that's right up there in the Central and the West. So we'll see. I would agree with that, Christian. And and really the only team that you could say that might have an edge when it comes to goaltending is Dallas, right? With the way Jake Ottinger's playing and even Scott Wedgwood. We just saw him. You know, he's a very good backup. So I think, you know, D- Dallas arguably has the best one-two punch in the league. I mean, obviously we know, you know Aiden Hill's pretty good with Logan Thompson. But I think to your point about the playoffs, I mean, the Jets uh, against most teams will have the edge in goal, and we expect the Jets to make some type of move before the deadline. I think it's going to be a defenseman. I think you guys would probably agree. Most people see that as being maybe a weakness. And I wanted to ask you, Christian, about the the kind of 6D spot, right? Because Billy Hainola, he's still a few weeks away, uh, at least a few weeks away. Uh, Nate Schmidt was a healthy scratch last night versus Buffalo. Logan Stanley starts for the second game in a row, and, and obviously we'll find out later today if it's going to be Nate Schmidt or Logan Stanley, or they could go 7-11. But overall, do you see kind of, you know, that being the situation until Vili Hanela comes back, like basically a rotation of of Nate Schmidt and, and Logan Stanley, and then maybe once Declan Chisholm gets called up, he gets a chance? Like, it seems like right now there's not really anybody, you know, you know solidifying that spot on the third pair. I wish Vili Hanela didn't get hurt in preseason because <laughs> – this was finally going to be his chance, right? He was having a great camp. People have been pining for his opportunity and he'd play a game or two here and there, but he'd never get a run, right? And that's what you need to, to, to see if someone, because look at even Cole Perfetti this year, another young player, first few games, not great, but he he knows he's in the lineup, right? He's not coming out. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing him just catch fire and it's been awesome to see. But I think of the of the three that you've mentioned of Schmidt, Stanley, and Hanela, I, I think we can agree at this point, the ceiling is highest for Hanela because Schmidt's just older, right? He's the oldest, one of the oldest guys on the team. And, and is, he's, his best days are behind him. No offense to him, but that's, that's just the case. That's just true. Logan Stanley, I think he is going to be who he is. Big guy, physical, can shoot the puck hard, not the best defender, not the best skater, kind of stuck at a maybe third pairing, fourth pairing. I don't know what to do with him, but I think Hanela definitely has the high ceiling. And I, once he's healthy, I'd like to see him get in and give him some sh- chances because we're seeing now Stanley's played back-to-back games, haven't been overwhelmed by what he's done these two games. And uh, Nate Schmitz have a, had a bit of a, a tr- tough season so far, but I think there's value in, in trying out Hanela and, and maybe even Chisholm, right? I know there's concern about the the back and forth with him, 
in terms of waivers or is he he's is he waiver exempt or no i can't remember no he's no, not right so no. they, they put him down on the conditioning stint to right so they can avoid waivers but that's that's a dangerous game you play right because and dave would know but sorry christian dave would know better but i'm not i don't know is there a max to how many times you can do the conditioning stint i'm not sure how many i don't know if they can keep doing that with him i believe they it's just be, once yeah so i, I like could christian, be wrong but they, i think it's just once. Re, once he's recalled then waivers becomes uh an option so that's why you know, there's that log jam where, like, do you consider moving a Logan Stanley because you don't want to lose Chisholm on waivers, right? What do you get for Stanley, though, at this point? Mid-round pick. Best. Yeah, if you're, yeah, fifth, sixth, right? There's And because and, yeah. if you put him on waivers, you'll lose him for nothing. But but you're not going to put him on waivers. There's going to be a, an attempt to, to get something. <laughs> you never look better. Yeah, there we go. But, yeah, I, I, I think Handel is the guy. I'd like to see him in there. And then we've you know, surplus of defensemen. What are you going to do about that to, to make space for a handle or potentially a Chisholm, right? I, again, Stanley, I'm not sure what value has. I'm not sure what value Smith has with his contract too, right? That's going to be a tough one too for Chevy. Saturday morning, you're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg, thrilled to be joined by Christian Amel from CJOB Radio talking about the Jets. And of course, we'll touch on the Bombers ahead of Don't the great. Don't forget about tomorrow. Sully. And Sully, Sully the cat. Yes. So then what, what, are, what, are the, what kind of dogs do you have? Uh, well, you saw briefly May made an appearance there. She was just okay. in the corner. Uh, she is what we describe as, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I have one of those too. Pitbull-ish, I guess, sort of. Uh, then there's Noya, who's lab-ish. Again, it's another, I don't know, uh, another rescue. And then Rosie is the uh, queen of the house. She's a dachshund. So. Three dogs yeah. and a cat. Yes, we have. Wow. And there's a lizard downstairs too. So we have a bit of a zoo here. And, uh, That's a menagerie right there. there. Yeah, wow. here. Uh, Christian, want to ask you about uh, Kyle Connor. I mean, he's, you know, five weeks into the season, he is a co-leader uh, with a number of other players with 13 goals, but, you know, quite the resurgence from him this season. What have you, have you noticed anything different from him that we didn't see last year? Because last year, of course, was a down year for him and he only scored 31. And this year, it's funny that a lot of the articles are saying, can Kyle Connor hit 50? I'm like, well, he's on pace for like 65 right now. So I don't know if I'd limit him to 50. Yeah, the, the on-pace fours are always fun in the first quarter of the season, right? Because it's, oh, this guy's going to score 83 goals and have 215 points. But the I think the number one thing for Kyle Connor it's not really power play boosted either, but I think he has been able to find the quiet ice better. And I think he's just finishing better, right? His shooting percentage was pretty low for a lot of last season. That's partially luck, and that's partially the opportunities he's getting. I think Mark Shifley as a passer this season is having a better campaign. Last year, he was he was putting up goals, but like no assists, right? I think he's been able... The, he's. I, I can just think of so many goals that Connor scored this year where it's just like, oh my God, what a pass from Shifley. And he buries it. I think they've been able to find some magic with Aya Follow, this burst they've had over the last week and a half. And I, I, I just think that, you know, goal scorers will have runs and it's not just limited to 10 or 15 games. It could be 82 games where you have a smaller sample size. And... You had two years ago where he almost went 50 goals, 50 assists, comes back down, and now, and now the shooting percentage numbers are are going up again. So I think that's part of it too, but I think he's just playing with a lot of confidence. His shot is is going in more than it wasn't before. I guess that's a very basic way of saying it, but I, I've just been impressed with where he's been able to get his looks from so far this year, and I think Shifley kind of elevating his game as a passer has been a big part of that. 
Christian, you mentioned Shifley and the success and Connor and uh, Gabe Velarde. We know he's, you know, set to come back in the next, let's say, for argument's sake, two weeks' time. You know, we were talking about that on the segment before you came back. You know, does Velarde, where do you put uh, you know, Gabe Velarde when he comes back? Do you put him right back where he was, where Shifley and Connor had that tremendous success with him, albeit for a game plus? Or do you maybe ease him into the lineup, you know, in a, in a, in a bit of a, in a different role than we saw when he, when he was healthy and to start the season my gut says ease him in but if you do that what do you do with everyone else because <laughs> i know the easy the easy thought is okay we move Domestikov back to the fourth line where he started the season he'll play with baron and gustafson uh-huh. ajf goes back to the moose and maybe you move you put Filardi on the right wing with perfetti and ehlers but that line has looked really good <laughs> With Nemestikov, Ehlers, and Perfetti, I feel like the fact that they've played together most of the season now has really elevated the game of first Perfetti, and now we're seeing Ehlers come along. And it's been a really impressive run of play from them. So I don't know what to to do with with Velarde because they they that top line in such limited action looked really solid. And so, so you just put it back to where it was before. And if you don't do that, well, then where does I follow go? <laughs> right? Because <laughs> that third line, you don't want to move Niederreiter out of there. That line, that line seems to be the most untouchable of the three. So I guess I don't have a good answer for you because it, it's a good problem to have having too many good guys on the team. But I guess Velarde on top line, you can't put I follow or Velarde on line four. So I guess you have to move Nemestikov out of there and maybe already <laughs> play center on that second line with with Ehlers and Perfetti. I there's yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough, right? And we'll, we'll see based on the what the results are on the ice. Of course. It, it, it's a good thing Scott O'Neill and Rick Bonus are, are getting paid more than we are to, yeah. to come up with the answers to these the these problems. You guys get paid? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, but, and and I'm sure Christian, like you guys have talked about it. um, Well, I'm not sure I, I, but I'm sure that you guys, you know, you've talked about it with Kelly Moore. We've like talked about the fact that we're going to be talking about it, but we haven't quite talked about it yet because he's still a little ways from coming back. Right. And, and it's a, it's, it's a fun thing to talk about. Cause I think Christian, what you're saying is I agree. Like it's, it's not, there's not an easy, it's not like, you know, bump X player down for Velarde because uh, if Velarde does go back to the first line with Scheif and Connor, obviously, then, you know, most likely, you know, Nemesnikov gets bumped down. But with how well Nemesnikov is playing, do you want him on the fourth line, right? Because I think you would agree, Lowry, Appleton, Niederreiter, they've been so good together. It's not like they're untouchable, but like you wonder, like, you, you always have to do things for, with a purpose, you would think, right? So um, it's it's tough to say, but I wanted to go no. back to, to Kyle Connor because, I mean... I obviously you know he's tied for the league leading goals or he's second in goals whatever he's having an unbelievable year i mentioned this to dave right before we went live like i don't think it's talked about enough how much of a bargain kyle connor is in that contract right like the jets are right up against the salary cap you could argue that kyle connor is an 11 million dollar a year player like is that something for you that that is maybe not talked about enough um in terms of just you know how good that contract not only looks this year, Christian, but has looked since it was signed by Chevy, you know, whatever that was four or five years ago. Well, that was exactly the conversation surrounding Mark Shifley, right? When he had his right. contract, he was putting up the record for most rolled goal- goals in a playoff series in 2018, right? 
how much of a bargain his contract was. And I think we're in that category now with Kyle Connor, who's not that much younger than Mark Shifley. But in this era where we've seen the cap go nowhere, which was not anticipated when he signed the deal because COVID, we didn't know that was coming. But <laughs> you look at Edmonton, and I'm not saying this is why Edmonton is struggling or why Toronto is struggling, but they've got such top-loaded salary cap situations where they've got multiple dudes making over 10 mil a year. And we might end up seeing this with Colorado down the road, but the way that the Jets have balanced out their roster, having their best players making less than the best players on other teams are making, I, that's got to be a huge help for Chevy in this market where it's no secret. It's not exactly the easiest to get free agents to come to. So for Kyle Connor to stay here for that reduced rate, you know, he, He's getting paid to score, right? And and his defensive metrics, I think, will always be something that leaves some people wanting. But, I mean, if he's putting up 50 goals and, and 100 points a year, making what he's making, yeah, that's... that's Who cares if he can't play defense? Track. They got defensemen. I mean, Mark Shifley stepped it up this year for sure. But um, it's, it's definitely a, a good thing for this team. And I think as long as we're in Winnipeg, we're going to be the ones talking about things and probably other people won't be talking about them. I think we understand that how the way the, the media works in Canada, especially when there's tire fires and in a couple other Canadian cities. So Kyle Connor's not going to be top of mind, but for us, yeah, definitely a bargain. And, and I think that's something that's really helping this team. You know, something that's helping this team is contributions up and down the lineup. And one of the guys making those contributions who who's already matched his total from last season is Mason Appleton. And there's a lot of, you know, questions from folks is, is Adam Lowry making Mason Appleton better or is Mason Appleton's play this season making, you know, that line better uh, overall. But what have you seen from Mason Appleton as he's matched his goal total in 16 games that he had from 51 last season? Well, I think the biggest thing is he's finishing. I know last year or really every season I've seen him play, he puts himself in good situations to score and doesn't score. Mm-hmm. I think that's been the biggest thing for him and why it didn't work on the top line to some degree. Also, I just think the speed of it was was not quite right for him. But he uh, he goes off the top line, a demotion, and he immediately starts killing it with Niederreiter and Lowry, right? And that line has been so good uh, in all areas of the ice, more or less, since they were put together. And I think Niederreiter's smarts and knowledge of what to do on the ice. He's just always in the, making the right play. I think that's been a huge part of elevating Appleton's game because Appleton and Lowry played together a lot, but it's really Niederreiter, I think, that has boosted that line. And we're seeing the goals that Appleton is scoring too, right? They're from dirty areas. Last night, he he scored from five inches away on a, <laughs> just a perfect net drive yeah. and an unreal pass from Niederreiter. Right. Adam Lowry is a really good player, but he's not the offensive player that Nino Niederreiter is. Right. And I think that you're bringing up a guy who's a second line, maybe borderline close to top line, putting him on the third line. That kind of offensive skill, I think, lifts all boats. And what we've seen is is Mason Appleton being in the right spot a lot, but now finishing um, because he's been receiving great passes. And he's he's just going his knowledge of where to go on the ice and the offensive end is really solid. And now he's putting it in the net, and that's great to see. 
Christian Amell from CJOB is our guest Saturday morning. This is the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. You know, Christian, a guy who was sort of in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons last year and maybe the last couple of years was Neil Pionk, and his struggles were well documented. So far this year, I'm not sure that necessarily we're seeing him revert back to, you know, how he was, say, three years ago when he was really, you know, a tremendous defenseman for the Winnipeg Jets and seemed like a a great acquisition in the Jacob Truba trade. But he seems to really have have steadied himself a little bit you know what I guess what my question would be what is your assessment been so far of Neil Pionk's game this year there's definitely times where uh there's struggles and there's definitely times where he, you know he's got some peaks and valleys but it seems like the peaks aren't as high and the valleys aren't as low as the last couple of years I think that's a fair assessment I think what we saw at first was wow this guy can really drive play and then what we saw was oh he's not anymore and he's a defensive liability this isn't mm-hmm. good and I've heard rumblings that he hasn't been healthy, but he played a lot. So I don't know how how much are you playing through that. If you if you're not effective, should you just take a break? This season, he's just I think he's been pretty steady, right? At mm-hmm. first, it, it, with Brendan Dillon, I was a little bit iffy on that pairing. I wasn't sure, but I think defensively, they've had better moments than they had in the past, and I think on the balance of play. They, there's been some rough spots, but overall, I think it's been pretty solid, which is a, a, the Jets needed that right going into yeah. the season where you're looking at, OK, what do they need to not necessarily take the next step, but certainly improve on last year and and just just sneaking into the playoffs. And I think a big thing was Cole Perfetti making a big leap and Neil Pionk being a solid second pairing defenseman. Right. Because after Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello last year, there were a lot of gaps in the defensive zone. And so if Pion can elevate his play and, and I think he really has, I think he's been a pretty solid defender. I think we've looked at last night, how he was able to jumpstart the Perfetti goal by making a great play behind his own net. Mm-hmm. And he's still able to pitch in occasionally offensively, really not as big a part of his game anymore, but that's okay. If you're, if you're playing great defense, and Brendan Dillon's lighting the lamp like he has been, <laughs> and they don't need the contributions quite as much from the back end. Christian, I wanted to ask you about Rasmus Kupari because obviously, you know, he left the game against the Devils. Um, he hasn't been, you know, blowing anybody out of the water with his offensive statistics, right? But I think you'd agree that he's been very impressive. He was probably the least known out of the three LA Kings that that came over. I think you'd agree, right? But what I wanted to ask you is, um, what do you see happening with with his future? Because it seems like a guy like Kupari, he would be a guy that the Jets would consider re-signing to I'm not sure how many years, maybe two years, maybe three years once his contract expires. Yeah, probably two, right? He's still pretty young. Uh, I The first thing is he's fast, right? He's yep. he's really quick with the puck. And sometimes it seems like he's almost too fast, right? Where he's going so fast and then the puck kind of leaves him because he's going so fast. And and those offensive skills may come, they may not. We're not quite sure what kind of player he's going to be. It's yet. like Drew at the buffet table, Christian. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's too, going I, so fast that he doesn't have time to put all the food on his plate. I miss buffets. COVID kind of killed buffets. There's a lot. There's still some, but there's not as many as there used to be. But um, I think that for Kupari, I'm not quite sure what he is yet, right? Because again, he hasn't played that much. He's been very fast. Are those offensive skills going to come along, right? Because so far this season, if you say of the 12 Jets forwards, he's probably number 12, right? And that's not really a dig at him. That's just. He's a young guy on the fourth line that hasn't had a lot of NHL experience yet. So I I think he's definitely got potential. I think we've seen 
the the kind of speed he has. Speed isn't everything, but that definitely at the NHL level is an asset to have. So down the road, is he going to be a, a player for this team? Maybe on the third line, potentially could be on the second line. We'll see how, how things go over the course of time. But I mean, the the Jets getting Ayafalo and Velarde probably would have been enough. I think. That's what I said at the time, Christian. If you go back to when that trade was made, I think if it's Ayafalo and Velarde straight up for for Dubois, I think the Jets win that trade. Then you throw in Kupari in the second round draft pick. Yeah. And to me, again, you know, uh, you know, Chevy isn't paying me to say this. I think Chevy deserves a lot of credit for winning that trade, and I think Chevy deserves a lot of credit for getting Nino Niederreiter for a second round pick with an extra year on his contract. Yeah, I remember the trade deadline day and thinking, and I think we talked about this on the air because I think they played that, I think it was against Edmonton that day, but on the pregame show, we were like, that's it? You got Nemestikov and, and Niederreiter? Really? Are you? Do you really want to win? Like, what are we doing here? And sure, they didn't really, maybe he saw that it was going down the drain last year, didn't want to do anything crazy last year, but Niederreiter and Nemestikov have been just, beautiful pieces yep. to have for this lineup because of their versatility. And we've seen how they have elevated the games of their line mates, right? Nemestikov's not putting up crazy stats. And I do anticipate he'll be the one that goes to the fourth line once Velarde comes back and everyone is, is back and firing again. But the impact he's had on Ehlers and Perfetti has been immense. And Nita Ryder, we've talked about how much he has boosted that third line. So yeah, Chevy's been making good moves, right? Yeah. Uh, we we can we I feel like we often criticize it at the time, but they have panned out for the most part. And I I still the one move that I'm still not sure about is trading the two second round picks for Dylan and Schmidt. And I understand why they did that at the time because they thought they were perhaps closer than they actually were. But turns out that season was about to be a, a complete disaster with Paul Maurice leaving, and now they have Schmidt who's not playing and making a lot of money. Dylan, on the other hand, I think is a pretty rock solid defender. But yeah. uh, so you're you're kind of in a bit of a pickle with the Schmidt deal. But uh, overall, yeah, Chevy's done a pretty good job, and he'll have moves to make this season for sure. And every time you do anything as a GM, that's another chance to litigate your record. And so I'm sure we'll we'll do that on our shows. You'll do that on your shows. <laughs> we'll continue. We'll continue this chatter, and and in a year or two, we'll look back and be like, oh, oh yeah, that wouldn't work too. Well, Christian, heading into the offseason, looking ahead a little bit uh, on the defensive end, the Jets have two UFAs in 33-year-old Brendan Dillon and 30-year-old Dylan DeMello. Uh, the right side, of course, is uh, is a, not a lot of, of depth there, obviously, up with the Jets and even organizationally. You know, we've got Elias Salamonson, the 2022 second rounder. Uh, he's over with Schlefka, but, you know, he's most likely going to probably jump up and play with the Moose next season. So what would you do if you're uh, the Jets GM putting on your GM hat? Do you think you're bringing back either of those two players or do you think the left side is kind of logged and you might want to bring back Dylan DeMello just for how good he's been and also at his age? I think you bring back Dylan DeMello because of of how well he's played with Josh Morrissey. I think they've Mm -hmm. created that, uh, you know, he's not putting up offensive numbers and that's not what he's here for. It it, it seems like the Jets have, have this one guy who's really defensive, one guy who gets all the points. Yeah. on their deep pairings and for Morrissey and DeMello, they've been a really good in that regard at some point, you know, d- does it run out? Of course it runs out for everybody, but I don't think that time is nearly yet. Second pairing you're looking at. Okay. Now we have conversations to make, right? I think Dylan, Dylan still has it, but he's obviously closer to the end as he, I think he's the oldest player on the team. 
Mm-hmm. And then down the lineup, right? You'll I love Sandberg's game, right? I think he's absolutely a guy that could be here for the next eight to ten years. Whether it's third or second pairing, I don't think he's top pairing, but uh, in terms of his defensive abilities, we're seeing it, his shot blocking abilities, penalty killing abilities. And then after that, you have to trust your organizational depth and your scouting and and how things are developing with the Moose because we just have not seen enough to make judgments on several of the players down at the AHL level, right? I want to see Chisholm at the NHL level. I want to see what he can do. Uh, Billy Handel as well. We still need to see more from him. So the, the, it's kind of, there's a bit of a conundrum, right? Because you don't want to make any crazy moves for the future until you see what you've got. But until you see what you've got, you got no space <laughs> for the guys that are the future. So do you want to just go out on a limb, trade guys, and then, all right, here you go. And what if they don't work? Now what do you do? So that is the that is the pickle, and that's why Chevy gets paid and a lot more than we do, as you said. <laughs> so, yeah, I I think I wonder about Pionk too, because right again, the right shot part of it, you you like to have that balance. Where's his game gonna go? Is it gonna be steady? Is he gonna be? Is he gonna find it and be a guy that can be a really solid two two A two B for the next five to six years? If so, then the the Jets have got one right, but. Uh, he's got to. He's. It's up to him to keep his play at this level, and if he can do that, then then I think the Jets are pretty set with what they see there, in uh, in most of their decor. Christian, last one for you. And with all due respect to the Jets and the Coyotes tonight, I think most people in Manitoba will have their attention firmly on the city of Hamilton tomorrow late afternoon as the Bombers and the Alouettes do battle for another Grey Cup. Uh, from your perspective, the Bombers, we know, are heavy favorites entering the game. We know that they've had the pedigree for the last number of years. We know that last year's defeat, last year's upset uh, is still a sour taste in their mouth. What is the determining factor in tomorrow's Grey Cup that's going to result in the Bombers being crowned champions of the CFL for another season? Turnovers. Simply. If the Bombers don't turn the ball over, they win the Grey Cup. I think it's pretty. It, it's that simple, honestly. Uh, and by the way, Adam Bighill and Dalton Schoen are listed on the roster as yeah. game time decisions. I still don't think they're going to play. No, we started the show with that because uh, the, the the roster came out at about nine a.m. when we started, yeah. and I think that's uh, yeah a little gamesmanship from the Bombers yeah. there. Yeah. So so Greg McRae will play, and then Winston Rose will come in on defense uh, in Adam Bighill's roster spot with Shane Gauthier playing in the middle. But we've seen Montreal play the Bombers twice this year mm-hmm. and do nothing on offense for two games, right? Six offensive points in two mm-hmm. games. They spotted them two pick sixes in a 47-17 win. <laughs> Don't do that tomorrow. Because we saw what Montreal did against yeah. Toronto last week. Nine turnovers is absurd. They would have won it with five probably. But Montreal's offense in that game had like 200 yards. Right? They're not. Cody Fajardo, I've never been a really big believer in him. And yes, the Montreal defense is really good. And, and they didn't have Darnell Sankey when they played the, the Bombers earlier in the season. And Sean Lemon was still kind of new. But I think if Winnipeg takes care of the football, they're going to win this game. I just don't think Montreal's offense can put up enough points to do damage unless they get a bunch of short fields. So 24, 20 points maybe could even be enough to win this game. I think it's it's good, really hard for me to imagine Montreal winning it. I, Crazy things have happened at great cups before. We've seen Cal- great Calgary teams lose. We've seen great Montreal teams lose. These great legacy teams not pull it out in the end. Crazy mm-hmm. things happen all the time in football. But this could end up being, a, I think, more like the 2019 Grey Cup than the 21 Grey Cup, 
where we saw Winnipeg kind of just get out and bludgeon Hamilton for six, 60 minutes. <laughs> I think we're probably leaning more towards that than, oh my God, how do they pull that out in Hamilton in 2021? And Kristen, well, most importantly, Brady Oliveira avoided the MOP curse, right? So the Bombers are going to win. He got most valuable Canadian, but he avoided yeah. the MOP curse. So we're good. Yeah, Bombers, Bombers win 27-10. Yeah, ba- Bombers got all the, no awards except for that one. They've got, if, if, if it's possible to have chips on your shoulder after going to four straight great cups and winning <laughs> two of the last three, then perhaps they've found them. But I think this, this sets up, it sets up so well. I think we're, we, the, you know, I think the national media is maybe trying to talk ourselves into why Montreal can make this close. It just seems hard to imagine Winnipeg not getting this done and, and perhaps by a few touchdowns. There you go. You heard it here first, folks. The Bombers and the Alouettes. That'll be tomorrow. Tonight, we have the Jets and the Coyotes. CJOB 680 will have coverage of that and everything else all week long, of course, as they always do. Christian Amel, thanks so much. Great first appearance. Great debut appearance here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We'll do it again real soon, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. There he goes. Christian Christian Amel joining us this morning. And Sully, of course, and the rest of the uh, dogs and lizards in the Amel household. When we come back, more Jets talk. We have Kevin Woodley coming up at the bottom of the hour. It's a Saturday morning. You spend it with a legal curve because that's what you do each and every Saturday. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsburg with you. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club, bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, John Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party, even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Whoa, Ezzy, everything okay? You look stressed. Of course I'm stressed. We're moving, the house is upside down, the kids failed miserably at packing the fine china, and my life is in chaos. Chaos! Yes, that does sound like a problem. What am I going to do? Ezzy, relax. Rolly's transfer moving and storage is the answer. With 60 years of experience in moving Manitobans and a track record of exemplary customer service, one call to Rolly's and your stress is gone. No job is too big or too small. Just visit rollies.com and they will take it from there. Thanks, Dave. And thank you, Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage, online at rollies.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center and they whitened my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go, We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs from restorative to cosmetic dentistry and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed fanalytics to test if the game is better at home or at Boston Pizza. The results are irrefutable. Catch the game at Boston Pizza. Powered by Fanalytics. So you're a pizza person. You married a wing person. But somehow your kids are salad people. You can't pick your fam, but you can pick your VP meal deal. Starting from $18.99 for takeout or delivery at bostonpizza.com. We did it again! You're on fire, man. There's power in a handshake. After a great game or great deal. 
It shows professionalism and respect. Two qualities Zapia Group Realty take pride in. You don't build a business where 95% of your clients are referred by others without honesty, integrity, and total dedication to client satisfaction. To sell your home for more in less time, shake hands with Frank and Mauro Zappia of Zappia Group Realty. Get started at zappiagroup.com. Are you dreaming of your very own backyard rink this winter but dreading the work involved? Well, stress no longer because the rink guys are here to make it happen. The rink guys are Winnipeg's first outdoor skating rink installation and rink maintenance service. The rink guys offer free site evaluations and different rink construction options. Plus, they use a custom-sized liner to prevent any damage to your lawn. Lighting packages are also available to help illuminate your rink during those long, dark winter nights. To get your rink started today, visit therinkguys.com. The second hour of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show consistently starts past the hour, and today we're still consistent, so there's something to be said for that. Drew Mandel, Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg with you on this Saturday morning. Reminder, the Illegal Curve post-game show later tonight after the Jets and the Coyotes right around 8.45. Dave Manouk and mystery guest. Dave Manouk and mystery guest. I think this is going to become a new segment. Our buddy Joe Pascucci tweeted at us, another Winnipeg Jets on this day in Jets history, November 18th, 1981. It's a battle royal between Lucien Dubois and Craig Hartsburg in the penalty box. Wow. Let's go to the video on this one. It's an entertaining one. I was watching this in the middle of the commercial. They're throwing fists in the penalty box. Here we go. There's Look at this. I love it. Can you imagine that if this happened nowadays in the penalty box? There's, there's, look at the, look at the helmet punch off. Look at the look, Hartsburg's helmet punch gets blown right off his head in the punch. I also Just love the it. fact that it's Dino Cicerelli there watching beside Dave Babich. I believe this was back and to the left. If you want from the, uh, from the Seinfeld episode, back and to the left, back and to the left goes Hartsburg's face. Quite and the right hand helmet. by Deblois there, Drew. I know that's what I'm saying. This day in Winnipeg Jets history, courtesy of our buddy Joe Pascucci, November 18th, 1981. That Dave is- Christian there? <laughs> What'd you say, uh, Ezzy? Dave Christian there of the Christian hockey stick family? Uh, I, well, I see Dave Babich. I see Dino yeah. Cicerelli. And then Dave I'm- Christian comes in there at the end. Yeah, see yeah there there's Dave 30, Christian. No, 13. Dave Christian, yeah. yeah. I'm not familiar with who Trimper is. Anybody know Trimper? I mean, some of the I think some of the old timers in the chat might know who Trimper is. But uh, considering I was You're a bit uh, of a Trimper, months... Drew. What's that, Ezzy? You're a bit of a Trimper. I'm a bit. I don't know if it being a Trimper is a compliment or an insult. But uh, I was two months old when this happened, so you'll forgive me for not knowing who Trimper is. I wasn't born yet. I was born July 1982, Drew. You were. I think that you had your bar mitzvah that year, right? You, you know what? I just said I wasn't born. I was two months old. You can't go back and then try and throw it against me at this point in time. But anyways, there you go. Courtesy of our buddy Joe Pascucci, this day in Winnipeg. I'm with you though. History. I mean, sometimes like just it's just fun. Tim Trimper says Bill, Billy Yo-Yo. Okay. Okay. There you go. So I guess you know it's a good point that uh, Matthew Thompson makes because last year on the uh, uh, you know last week on November 11th they got beat 15 to two. So uh, you know maybe they were a little bit upset and decided well, to take it out. Wasn't that Dale Howardchuk's rookie year or was that the next year? Uh, his rookie year. He drafted been... in 81. Or 82. Uh, 
He was drafted in. Now you're asking me difficult questions, as you're putting me on the spot. In any event, there you go. There's 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 the video of the day, courtesy of our buddy Joe Pascucci. I don't think you're going to see any penalty box fights uh, in today's game. Howard Chuck was drafted first overall in 1981. 81. There you guys. There you guys go. Doug is saying how young we are. I think, Doug, it's more that you're just even older than we are. I think that's the difference. Bailey's young. We're old. Doug, we're and you know I love you. Doug, you're just decrepit is what, is what it is. That's what's happening there. My lower back will tell you that I'm not young anymore. <laughs> As your lower back was bad when you were 18, though. <laughs> I don't think that's necessarily uh, an age well, And it's thing. gotten even worse since I've been carrying the Illegal Curve Hockey Show for the last 14 and a half years. Oh, zing. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a good one that was a good one indeed there's andrew's more more on tim trimper that's why i love this show all you folks in the chat somehow are are, are pulling out tim trimper uh statistics and uh, remembrances uh on this random saturday morning so that's terrific good job all of you for joining us this morning and good job of course for uh to our buddy joe pascucci keep sending those along uh <laughs> keep sending those ones along as the jets and the coyotes will do battle again later today uh and i think it's sort of a similar similar game plan for the Jets similar you know recipe for success to what they had in Arizona a couple weeks ago you have to take advantage of the Coyotes defense that's Mm -hmm. where they're you know that's where they're at their weakest that's where they're at their most vulnerable we know that their you know forward group is is better than it has been in past years uh you know so that they you know who you have to be worried about uh from the Coyotes perspective uh, and that's, you know, that's sort of where you have to go from there. Yusuf Valimaki out of the Coyotes lineup. So he's not going to be on the back end uh, for the Coyotes today. So they're even thinner, uh, uh, you know, in, on defense. So that's where the Jets have to take advantage of it, albeit against a rested Coyotes team, against a Jets team playing the second of, uh, of back-to-backs here, Ezzy. Yeah, and, you know, recently the Coyotes beat the Stars 7-5, right? Wasn't it 7-5? Yeah. So, I mean, like... The, the Coyotes, I think, since that... No, I think, game, I think that was Nashville, is he? Oh, sorry, Nashville. They beat yeah. Nashville 7-5. Yeah, for a second, I was like, I don't think anybody's beating Dallas. <laughs> the way, they, the way uh, how successful they've been. Um, but uh, the point is, since the, the Jets beat the Coyotes in Tempe, uh, they've won uh, three of their five games, and the other games they lost were one-goal games. Mm-hmm. Coyotes team is a competitive team this year, and we've talked about it, right? Like, Sean Dersey... I, I really like that trade, Matt Dumba. They've just augmented their their decor, and you know Logan Cooley guys like you know can't be understated. Like similar kind of impact that Matty Beniers had in his rookie year in Seattle. Like Logan Cooley's that good um, that you know he instantly makes a team better. And obviously, you know there, there's always going to be the debate, uh, you know whether the Habs should have taken uh, Logan Cooley, but. Well, it's, it's yeah. pretty clear right now uh, which which of the two players between Slavkovsky sure. and 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 sure. Cooley and they're both succeeding. young, right? Like, of course, yeah, they're let's, both. Let's, young. let's let's not get too excited, but right. um, yeah. I mean, look at I mean Clayton Keller. I mean, he's been a really good player for the Coyotes for for a while now. Uh, Nick Schmaltz, I think, is an underrated player. Um, so there's got a lot of talent, and and Vimelka is usually solid in net. He wasn't. I wouldn't say he was, you know, uh, that great in the game a couple of weeks back, Dave. But um, you know. He has that ability. He's a good, solid. He's established himself as a number one goalie in the league. So, yeah, the Coyotes give up a lot on defense. There's no doubt about that. But I don't think you necessarily want to trade chances with this team either. Yeah, and, and you know, as the one thing I want to say, and I think I'm going to highlight Daryl's comment because it's it's one I want to reiterate or or or, or mention, I should say, is that it's it really is up to Laurent Brassois, who hasn't played up to the standard that we know he's capable of, to play up to the standard that we know he's capable of, because. 
you know, for when you look at quality starts and we can talk about it with Kevin Woodley, I'm not sure he's given the Jets one yet. So from, from that perspective, that's one of the things. And, and look, up until last night, you could say Connor Hellebuck had some quality starts in, in this, in the, how many games has he played now? Uh, Four. He played 14, I think. No, no, I'm saying Hellebuck. But I'm saying like, I think he's had a lot of, of quality starts. He's also had a few stinkers that, you know, you don't expect from Connor Hellebuck. He's in in that sort of situation, turned it around a little bit after what we saw yesterday. But yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we expected this Jets team to be better at, right? Was their goaltending. The five on five has been has been the surprise of the season without question. But the goaltending, and, and you know, one of the things about that five on five, and you're hearing it from players, is the system. And obviously, like, you know, the systems are generally fairly similar and there's not huge variations. But, you know, just listen to what Kyle Connor said this week about adopting, having now had a full season of the Rick Bonus system and now having really that comfort in it. It seems like this team is accepting a different, you know, way to play the game a little bit. And it's worked for them because, again, they weren't this good a five-on-five team last year. And that, mm-hmm. again, goes speaks to the depth. And we've talked about that enough, as as would say. Uh, we don't have to go back there. But to me, it's just a function of this team feeling a lot more comfortable in their skin uh, playing within that framework that Rick Bonus has created. They really do seem to be a unified front. And I mean, you saw it again last night. Uh, you know, you, 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 you punch one of them, you got three guys coming at you. I mean, it was the one late in Literally. the game. Yeah. Late in the game when, um, uh, Zach Benson, Zach Benson. Thank you. My brain was going blank there for a second. Zach Benson, you know, takes some liberties. I think it was against Morrissey, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, I could be well, wrong. Technically it was against Hellebuck. Well, fine. Right. But Morrissey was right involved in the scrum. And then you saw three Jets players swarm them. Now, look, I know that that's going to happen you know, more often than not on most teams, but it does seem like this Winnipeg Jets group is, again, I mean, we and we don't need to rehash the addition by subtraction of the dressing room and everything else, but, and, and certainly playing well, like eight, two and two in your last 12 games certainly goes a long way to getting these good vibes feeling there. But it does seem like this team, the connectivity of this team I think is a, a valid talking point so far this season as Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you have to give a lot of credit to the leadership, right? Like guys mm-hmm. like Josh Morrissey and obviously the captain, Adam Lowry, but yeah, Alex Iafallo has fit in really nicely into this team, not just his production on the ice, but his personality, right? Like you just have to listen to the way Kyle Connor talks about Iafallo on, on his line, right. Or Mark Shifley talking about Alex Iafallo and, you know, we talked about this at the time of the trade. Iafalo has been in the league for quite a while now. It's not like this is his, you know, second or third year. Um, but yeah, I, it does seem from the outside that this is a tighter knit group, right? Like you saw Nikolai Ehlers, for example, drop the gloves against Brendan Smith yeah. uh, earlier this week on the Devils, right? Like, um, you know, it, it's a it's a different team, and just by taking Blake Wheeler off the roster it makes it a different team. Like forget all the other moves that, that were made like bringing black Vlad Nemesnikov or whatever move, you know, you want to point to it mainly obviously uh, at the forward position because the defense is exactly the same as last year. Right. But I think that, you know, it it does seem like a a different jets team. I mean, you can't, I, I mean, you just can't not talk about the improved play at five on five and also how Hellebuck, and or Brassois hasn't had to steal games, really, maybe with the exception of last night. Last night's game against mm-hmm. the Sabres, guys, was maybe the first game of the year in which you could really say, okay, Hellebuck badly outplayed Comrie. 
you know, he deserves a, a lot of credit. And that's not taking, you know, anything away from Nick Ehlers' knuckleball game-winning goal. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly, you know, early in the season at least, and you're right, Drew, it's still early. 16 right. games is early, but it's not, I mean, you know, we're not going to be saying this after 30 games or after 40 games. At a certain point, you have to just say the Jets are a good team. Joe Pascucci and I talked about this, uh, you know, after the Jets-Stars uh, game. Yeah. I still think the Jets are probably the third best team in the Central, and that's nothing against the Jets. It's just that Colorado and Dallas are really good teams, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Jets finish second in, in the Central. I wouldn't be that shocked, actually, if they finish first, but it looks like right now, clearly Dallas is playing at a higher level than than the rest of the teams in, in the Central, but you know the Jets have points in nine of their last 11 games, so you know they're going to face some tough teams coming up in, in Tampa Bay and Florida. Uh, and then they've got Dallas again coming up on the uh, the 27th or the 28th. So, I mean, the, the schedule is going to get a little bit harder, Dave. But, I mean, right now, you have to say that, you know, this team is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tighter-knit group. And it's just, a, it's, a, it, it's looking like a better team. And even though the Jets started last season, you know, with points in 11 of their f- first 15 games, mm-hmm. it just seems like a, a, a more sustainable type of, of winning that the Jets are doing this year. I think the big difference, and sorry, Dave, is that if you had said, you know, you know, last year you couldn't say that the Jets have nine wins in their first 16 games and Connor Hellebuck is really the driving force behind one of those wins. That just wouldn't right. be a topic. That, that, you know, he was the driving force behind every Jets win for the most <laughs> part last year. You know, yeah. that's, I think, the huge difference is, is exemplified just through that sort of analysis. Mm-hmm. No, I, I mean, I think there's no question about it. And that's what we've been talking about fairly consistently throughout the course of the season. And some folks in the chat are saying that Hellebuck won them, the, the Jets, the Oilers game. So even, even adding yeah, that, I would will, agree with that. That's so that's even a good adding, point. yeah, I so even adding that, that game. No, but sure. But that, that was early yeah. in the season, Drew, but yeah. even adding that game to the list, right? You, you've got to look at it and say, well, that's just two of the games. And you're right. It, your point still make is still valid because ultimately last year over, there were number every game year day, game after game. We did 82 of them. We talked about it. Connor Hellebuck, Connor Hellebuck. If Connor Hellebuck didn't do this, if Connor Hellebuck. And we used mm-hmm. to say, you don't apologize for having one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. That's just the reality of your team. So the fact is if the jets are playing the way they are currently playing as a collective group and Connor Hellebuck hasn't necessarily caught up to that. Well, that just it stands to reason that if your five on five play is not going to drop off, and you're now getting into the sample size where 16 games, Drew, I and mean, we were talking about this. You're almost a quarter of the way through the season. Yeah. So you're starting to become who you your record shows that you are. And if you get Connor Hellebuck now, who's still going to play the majority of these games, even with Laurent Brassois as his backup, if you get Connor Hellebuck to get back to that level that we're used to seeing, yeah, absolutely. This Jets team is definitely, you know, a, 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 and, and of course, special teams, but that's not as important as your five-on-five play. So to me... This Jets team, if you can get Connor Hellebuck back up to the level we saw yesterday as, hopefully you don't need him that much because, again, you know you don't want to see the Jets regressing to what they used to do, which was overly rely on him and not play an effective team game. But mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you want to throw that off. I mean, Buffalo was looking to um, you know, get out of a slump. They obviously had uh, Tuck back. They had Benson back. They had Comrie back. So, um, you know, Buffalo was hungry. They need. They knew that they're a bit, you know, they're a bit desperate. They're they're looking to um, get back on track for their season. So, and that's why we always say it's not just that there's one hockey team that's playing the game. There's two teams, and you got to factor that into for to the game. So, uh, Hellebuck stepped up, and that's what the Jets needed. 
and the five and five play has been excellent. So if that, well, if that, if those both things, those two things stay true, yeah. it's going to serve the Jets very well. Well, I mean, think about it. Last number of years, let's say last three years, how it was a surprise when the Jets would win the possession battle. I mean, right. now it's almost the flip of that. It's been so far this year a bit of a surprise when the Jets haven't won the possession battle. And like the Jets last night. aren't like last night. They certainly lost the possession battle. I think they lost the possession battle on Tuesday against New Jersey as well. But that wouldn't have been it, 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 that probably last was, night was more one sided though. Like, last night was sec- certainly second more and one-sided. third periods. Yeah. Second and third periods were all Buffalo. Yes, there's no question about. It. Last night was one of the more one-sided games, and, and if you look at you know the, uh, the the bulk of the Jets' success, it's not because they're outscoring their problems. Again, this was you know which was so often the case that they are doing it you know on the defensive side of things you know uh, you know very you know largely you know their their expected goals for you know only is you know puts them at twenty second in the NHL. But then you look at their expected goals against. Well, that you know, it's much better, uh, you know, in in that category. Their expected goals against is just outside the top ten in the league. So I mean, if this is a Winnipeg Jets team that is doing it largely by starting in their own zone, a team that I'll be honest, I didn't know that they had that in them because we haven't mm-hmm. seen that. They've always talked a big game for the last number of years about how it starts in their own zone and it starts in front of Connor Hellbuck and it starts by playing better within their with their own defensive system. But then immediately they would lose that structure and then it would be, you know, Captain Chaos out there instead. And again, you know, small sample size, but the sample size is growing. So it's not a tiny sample size. It's not three games anymore. It's now up to 16 games. That seems to be the the structure that you know sure. they're they're maintaining the structure that they haven't been able to do for so many well, years before. And, and we talked to Christian O'Mel last segment, obviously about the Jets. But when he when you asked him about the Bombers, you yeah. know, and Drew, you watch football more than you know Dave and I do. But I mean, turnovers are almost always a factor in football, or a lot of the time, it's a factor when when you know, let's say you have two evenly matched teams, right? I think the Bombers, you would agree, still have the edge, but you know, turnovers to me are also something that you, you've seen start to kind of creep back into the Jets game. We saw that uh, on on Dallas's uh, first goal yesterday. It was at the first goal. Uh, pardon me, not Dallas. Buffalo's first goal, the one that uh, uh, the the turnover where yeah, Hellbuck the bad the the, yeah, it was the first yeah. goal with the, I forget uh, if it was the first goal or the second goal. First goal, um, second goal it was, was Alex uh, Tuck that yeah. scored that goal. That's uh, right. Dave second goal Tuck. was the breakaway by uh, Paterka. There you go. Yeah, you're right. So that was a turnover, but also you go back to that Dallas game. Um, you know, there were some pretty bad turnovers. Cole Perfetti turned over the puck to yeah. Wyatt Johnston. That was Dallas's second goal that made it 2 nothing at the time. So that's right. another thing too, right? Like turnovers happen for every team. We're not saying that the Jets have to be perfect and never cough up the puck. But I think that's another thing too that we've seen in certain situations where, you know, the Jets are, are, are kind of gifting goals to teams. They're still the better even strength team most nights, not last night against Buffalo, maybe not so much against the New Jersey Devils who also came into that game you know, desperate as, as Dave said, and you, and you do have to factor that in there, especially when you're t- playing a team out of conference. It's not a team you're expecting to see a lot. Um, and the Coyotes are going to be pretty desperate as well, because we talked about it. They're two points behind the Jets. I mean, the Coyotes know that these, it's not like the Jets, you know, look at this game and, and they say it's an important central division matchup. The Coyotes do as well, even though the, I think we'd all agree the Jets have a higher ceiling. This isn't going to be an easy game uh, for the Jets. We talked about it. The Coyotes put up seven goals against Nashville Nashville's a pretty good defensive team, so they have a pretty good goal. They have to they have to keep going, but I think if you want to like compare this year to last year, this seems more real than last year. I would argue. 
I would agree with that. Worth noting as well about the Coyotes, Dave. Barrett Hayden is out of the lineup for them tonight. I think he's going to miss four to six weeks. Uh, He suffered an injury uh, earlier this week, I think, in the game against Barrett Hayden has a goal yet this year. He doesn't, uh, but he had he had a really weird stat line. I remember t- yeah. talking about it a couple weeks ago. He had a really weird stat line, but they don't have the depth. The Coyotes don't really have the depth in order to to suffer uh, to handle significant injuries. Yeah. Uh, and he and, and that's certainly when he's a, he's a contributing member of that Coyotes team. And Matthias yeah. Michelli is also a day to day. So he had some dental work done, according to our buddy Craig Morgan. Some serious. He must have eaten a puck, is my guess, or something along those lines, or a stick. And so he's day to day, and it's uh, questionable if he's going to be in the Coyotes yeah, lineup. Just a note, today. Drew Travis Boyd. So Barrett Hayton was centering Nick Schmaltz and Clayton Keller. It's going to be Travis Boyd mm-hmm. who's going to be centering that top line now. Well, and I mean, and Travis Boyd is a journeyman veteran guy at this point in his career, so mm-hmm. it's certainly uh, not the same level of, of firepower that the Coyotes have up front, and so the Jets need to, you know, take, take advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, look, the, no team ever feels sympathy, sympathy for their opponents when their opponents are going through the injury bug. The Jets certainly have their share of injuries as well. The question is, how do you uh, respond in the face of those injuries, and how do you, where do you go from there, Dave? Yeah, and just quickly before we go to break and yeah. uh, welcome Kevin Woodley on Barrett the other Hayden side. does but, actually have two goals. Sorry. So just want to mention that the Santa Claus parade is at 5 o'clock today. The yes. Jets game is at 6 o'clock today. So for those of you going, just be aware, if you're north of Portage, park north of Portage. If you're south of Portage, park south of Portage. Do not take try and take Portage. It's going to be uh, a little hectic. So I saw Kenny's water bottle asking that question. I just wanted to let yes. people know. Just be aware. The parade starts at 5 once the game is over, shouldn't be an issue, but uh, getting to the game could be a bit of a problem. So just be aware of that when you're trying. And if you're going to try and cross Portage, go into Portage Place and use the Skywalk. That's exactly right. That advice, courtesy of our friend Krista at True North, who sent that out uh, via email yesterday as well. If you're coming north of Portage, stay north of Portage. If you're coming south of Portage, stay south of Portage. And then and if you're east or west, place. we got no you're, answers. Yeah, exactly. Drew, where's the coal in Kentucky? Is it east Kentucky or west Kentucky that has the coal? The coal is in eastern Kentucky. That's where right. towards Appalachia is, is, is where that is. But thank oh, you for Appalachia. asking there. As he, I, I'm picturing Dave, if you if you want to go back to Seinfeld again, the, remember the Puerto Rican Day Parade episode where they're yeah, trying to cross the street and they're Maroon trapped golf. behind all the bleachers and everything else. That's sort of what I'm picturing today as people try and maneuver their ways into downtown Winnipeg for the both the Santa Claus Parade and the Jets and the. And coyotes. as Vern and Vern says, the roads close at 11 o'clock this morning. So there you uh, go. So uh, good luck to everybody uh, venturing down <laughs> downtown today. May God have mercy on all of you uh when we come back uh kevin woodley is going to join us he's with in goal magazine he also covers the canucks so we'll talk about goaltending we'll talk a little bit about the canucks start to the season and of course much more jets talk to come it's a saturday morning drew mandel dave manuk ezra ginsburg with you we're live on the illegal curve hockey show welcome back to the illegal curve hockey show drew mandel dave manuk ezra ginsburg with you on this saturday morning the jets and the coyotes later on this afternoon this evening and then post game right around 8 45 p.m we're thrilled to welcome to the program from nhl.com from in goal magazine our good friend kevin woodley joins us on the program kevin good morning thanks so much for joining us how are things on the left coast hey i mean after a decade of misery they're pretty good out here right now for a change (laughs) right on decade of misery is that is that the slogan i'm not sure if that's uh going on the slogan or not but uh, no i don't think they hang that one in the lot. that's not one of rick Tockett's uh you know four <laughs> pillars that he that he posts on uh on the locker room walls 
Yeah, that's a good one. I, li- I like it anyways. I might steal it if you don't mind. Uh, you know, you mentioned that things are going pretty well after the decade of misery, and we'll touch on the the Canucks as well, you know, throughout the course of this interview. Uh, I-, I guess, you know, maybe we'll start there. I mean, everyone keeps saying that, the you know, the P- it's going to regress. The PDO can't stay where it is, and-, and-, and that's all probably true. But do the Canucks care? Because at this point in time, the points are still in the bank. It's not like uh, the points get re- reduced if the when the PDO regresses. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and, there's a lot of these games early in the season that they're winning five, two, six, two, um, you know, lopsided scores. That's how you get to lead the league in goal differential. Last time I checked. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when it regresses, can you still win those ones, two, one, three, two tight games? Um, and well, I guess we'll wait and see, but the reality is the structure is just so much better. The buy-in defensively backtracking things that are commonplace in Winnipeg and have been for years actually happen here now on the defensive. <laughs> end. It's not just about, yeah, they've made personnel changes uh, on defense that that have you know provided significant upgrades. Although we'll see how they do now without Carson Soucy for the next six to eight weeks. Not that he was. I mean, he's playing on a third pair. He was on the second unit penalty kill. He wasn't, you know, a leading cog, but he was a big part of improving the balance on the back end. After you get past that, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. After you get past that first pairing with Hughes and Heronic. So, um, you know, yes, it. This is not sustainable. I don't even know what the PDO is today. Um, there are some things they do offensively that, you know, I think lead to, like they create quality. They don't create volume. They they do create a decent amount of quality and they've got elite finishers on the top two lines and they've got Quinn Hughes on the back end. So, you know, might they be a team that has a PDO a little bit above a hundred? Yes. To the degree it is now, no. Even even when you look at Thatcher Demko and his numbers, I think last I checked, he's like plus 5% on expected save percentage. And like the best season we've seen in the last 10 years is probably Igor Shosturkin and he was around plus three. So as good as we know he is, as much as they've improved defensively to give him a more predictable structure in front of him and kept it on one half of the ice more often than not. So he's not getting extended and sprawling like he used to have to do five, six, seven times a night behind this team. It's still going to come down. History just tells us that's the case. The question is whether they can continue to keep winning. And as you said, I think they've got enough points in the bank that, you know, probably a little bit sub 500 gets it done. Like I, math is not my strong suit. I haven't done it, but, you know, <laughs> they're in good shape, right? Like making the playoffs was the goal this year. Um, and they're showing like that's a that's a strong likelihood. And the question now is, can you continue to build on some of those elements I talked about so that when you get there, you at least have a chance to be a tough out? Right, exactly. I agree with what you said there. The the start that they've had allows them, you know, to have a, a blip on the radar, right? Like it allows them to lose some games and still be comfortably in a in a playoff spot. And I think for a team that didn't have the highest expectations, <clears throat> Edmonton Oilers, uh, you know, then you know that that helps. And the Oilers will push, obviously. But I, I think you're right. I mean, the the Canucks, regardless of if you know the PDO <laughs> stays around where it is at now. Uh, I, I think, you know, you would agree that they've been one of the most surprising teams. Kevin, I want to ask you about Thatcher Demko. I texted you, uh, you know, earlier this week, and I, I think that, you know, nobody is surprised. I mean, Demko has been a fantastic goaltender uh, since before he came into the NHL. Uh, what are you seeing from from a, a, a someone who analyzes goaltenders? And you're right. I mean, his goal save above expected, his save percentage are are phenomenal right now. Um and just, but what are you, what are you seeing from him? Cause I, I think you'd agree like Demko has his mechanics and everything like that. He's always been a fantastic goalie, but it seems like 
you know, do, dare I say he has elevated his game to a, a higher level this year? Well, I mean, compared to last year, yeah, because last year was tough, right? Like, and, you know, I, you know, cough, cough, Oilers, right? Like a lot of focus on goaltending there. Um, but I think the part that gets missed, like, like Demko had a tough season last year, finished, came back after the injury and finished strong. And I think a lot of people associate his early season struggles strictly with injuries and that that must have been what slowed him down. But out of the gate, he was fine physically. And the reality is, you know, the year before under Boudreaux, they were a bottom third team in the NHL defensively. The start last year under Boudreaux, they were a bottom three team defensively. And you, it doesn't matter what your goaltender does. Like, it just doesn't matter. Pucks are going in when that's the level of defensive play you've gotten. You know, I mentioned the Oilers because not in zone, but off the rush, they're 32nd in the National Hockey League by ClearSight Analytics in terms of giving up the most dangerous chances the most often. They're giving up laterals. They're giving up odd mans. Like, it's been better the last few games. Yeah, they need a few more saves. Their goalies and their goalie people would tell you that. But when you drop to that level, like, that environment becomes so unpredictable um, that you don't know which way to go. You're not worried about a shooter, a shooter and a pass option. You're worried about a shooter and a pass option where he's going to pass it after that. And so um, I think getting Tockett structured defensively in front of him, getting the buy-in they have from all their forwards. I mean, listen, like at this time last year in this market, the question was, could JT Miller play center? Now JT Miller is a shutdown getting heavy, like straight hard matched against Connor McDavid. And I think he held him without a point in three games, like just buried him. So uh, with Brock Besser on his wing, a guy who happens to be tied last I checked again, last I checked numbers changed last night and I wasn't watching, I guess, but um, you know, thir 13 goals tied for the league league in the national hockey league. And it's not all by being a sniper, the sort of one shot guy we think of Brock Besser being like, he's playing a shutdown role on a shutdown line. He's net front on the power play. And we talked about PDO and shooting percentage. Well, the way they manage screens, like they were bottom three in the league last year in terms of shots with screens. And now they're in the top third. And guys like Besser, you watch the way that power play works. Like it's purposeful. It's not just standing there. It's pushing a goalie who's looking short side over your shoulder and forcing him to either continue to follow you short side or switch behind you just as the shot's being released so he can't see it. Like there's a lot going on there. Uh, and that's a big part of their success. And obviously, can that continue, right? Relying on the power plays heavily as they have. But in terms of Demko, I just see a guy who's who was this good two years ago with way better support in front of him. And if you want to know what that – like, there's no technical changes. Um, everything he's doing is the same as it was. And one thing I will say is that defensive support and the trust and the, and the, the reduction in team passes compared to years past, watch where he gets to on the ice. He's getting to the top of his crease more often, whereas he used to you know, push off the post on a low-high play. He's maybe two-thirds depth. And obviously, everything is read-based. Each play is individual. But I see him getting to the top of his crease more often than he did in the past. You know, Kevin, last night we saw the Buffalo Sabres in pregame following morning skate. We had a chance to catch up with Eric Comrie, who we know you've spoken with, and he's a we've covered him for many years, and he's a delight to talk to. But, you know, one of the things I thought was interesting because he was asked about the three-goalie system, and we've talked to that, Marty Baron, about, you know, having to play in that type of system. He says it's not a problem based on the way the injuries have worked that they've really only had two at any one time. But how hard is that on a, on a goaltender to play in that sort of system with the three guys and, and not really getting as many regular reps as you might like? Yeah, I mean, it's not – there's three doesn't go into two, right? Like I said, <laughs> I said I'm not good at math, but I know that doesn't divide very well. Um, there's two nets in practice. Now, the irony is, um, 
I mean, we're seeing a lot of teams with three, and I think that's just scared to lose a guy on waivers for the most part, and that's why you're seeing those decisions. Um, but we're also seeing a decrease in the amount of minutes teams are expecting out of, the, out of their number one goalie, right? Like we're seeing tandems. And I think you can take that a step further. If you really want to rest your number one goalie, you should have a practice goalie, right? A guy who can come on and take reps during the during uh, a practice. Your number one goes out, gets his minutes, say Connor Hellebuck with Wade Flaherty. And they used to do this a little bit in Winnipeg. You go, I think they even had another sheet where he'd go on, he'd get his goalie reps in, but then not have to worry about, you know, literally hundreds of up and downs and the wear and tear on the body uh, of the main practice. Now, that's hard to do with a practice goalie on a regular basis, although interestingly, the Canucks have hired one here in Vancouver. And I I know there's one team last year that I haven't been able to pin this down, but I was told by a pretty good source they actually traveled the practice goalie last year, a designated mm. practice goalie, so that their guys could get reps, rest, reps with the goalie coach and rest otherwise. Now, teams tend not to like that, right? Shooters want to shoot on NHL goalies. And we know there's a bunch of teams with like equipment staff or – um, you know, assistant coaches that will also go in net, but the teams don't want to shoot on a guy who's maybe regressed to the point of beer league level or, you know, played in college 15 years ago. They want to shoot on NHL goalies. So having three, uh, give, the NHL give, only you, uses those guys as, uh, as the emergency goalies. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so, yeah. So you want, you want, you want to find ways to give your guys rest. And, and the irony is these three goalie systems could potentially be a way to do that. It's not ideal though. Like, Obviously, everybody wants to play. Everybody wants their regular reps in practice. And so it's a tough thing to manage. It puts a lot of uh, pressure on the goalie coach to sort of divide things up uh, in a meaningful way for each guy. But, you know, in some ways, I, I sort of feel like this is the way we're headed. And, you know, this goes to the other point I would make. Like, we look at the NBA and load management and stuff like that. How how silly is it if we're worried about starts and rest and making sure our number one goaltender gets to the playoffs 100% healthy? Like we saw a game in Colorado the other night where Lucas Dostel got left in for all eight. Like the abs were buzzing. It was back to back for Anaheim. There's travel, there's elevation. Like it's just a tough night, right? But you mm-hmm. knew damn well he was staying in the whole time, right? Because Gibson played the night before. He's not getting in there. So mm-hmm. how, if you, on those nights, maybe even not those, any night where your number one's not going. And I've had some people say, hey, like sometimes, you need to switch. And if it's not back-to-backs, you are putting him in because margin for error and everything and your backup has a tough night. But there's a lot of nights where you know he's not going in and you got him sitting on the bench. Well, it's not just sitting on the bench. It's doing his mental visualization warm-ups. It's getting his body ready to play. It's going through the pregame routine. Like there's a physical and mental toll to sitting on the bench. And so at least when you have a three goalie system, you know, I guess the irony is if you have a three goalie system, you probably don't have a workhorse, but you know, at least you're able to rotate that round a little bit. So you're not wasting energy on a guy who's not going to play that night because he's sitting on the bench and he had to do his 45 minutes of warm up and his eye drills and his mindset drills and all those different things that come with a burden in terms of energy systems and levels and ultimately drain you a little bit more um, in terms of what you have left at the end of the year. Kevin Woodley, our guest here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Kevin covers the Canucks for NHL.com. He covers goaltending for In Goal Magazine. Hey, Kevin, here in Winnipeg, back to the future with the tandem of Hellebuck and Brassois. I, I, you know, we all expect Hellebuck to his numbers to revert back to where they usually are, and he had a great showing last night against the Buffalo Sabers, really backstopping the Jets. 
uh, to to a victory. Lauren Frosois, though, he's you know only played three games so far, but uh, struggled in those three games. 872 save percentage, 3.25 goals against average. Is this a function of a player sort of just trying to work their way back from that season-ending injury he suffered and trying to get sort of the, the, the his skates back underneath him? Or do you see uh, more serious cause for concern about him as a as a sustainable backup goalie for the Jets no I don't have any concern about him as a sustainable backup goalie like there's going to be an adjustment period um you know it's funny I you know I probably should ask you guys this like how much how much differences are there in terms of you know the way they play from when he was there last how many personnel changes are there like there's always an adjustment a little bit when you go behind even if the system's the same and the tendencies are generally similar having you know one or two or three different defensemen and the tendencies they have like there's there's a there's an adjustment period there and so um and as you said uh coming off you know a summer that that started with injury um you know i think i was actually there when he got back on the ice for the first time up in Kelowna, and that wasn't until august um so you know there's there, there's probably a little bit i don't say training wheels but there's a little bit early in the season with him and you know, we know what he is. We know how good he can be. And I liked the idea of, you know, that reunification with Wade Flaherty. And I think you'll, you'll get the best. There's just, just a matter of having a little bit of patience. And the tough part though is with, and, and Connor Hellebuck is digging it. Like I look at the statistics, he's back above expected. Like he's digging himself out of that early hole um, just as we would all expect. And I, I'm guessing knowing how much pressure he puts on himself and, and, you know, how much he wants to excel that, that they probably would have worn a little bit of their felt a little bit of that. Um, want, you know, you can't try harder in goaltending, but you get that contract and you feel like you need to do more. Um, he, you know, the numbers back up what you're saying in the eye test with him. The problem is, is you want to get him back up and going. He's a guy that loves to play a lot. It's tougher to find those spots for the Rambus one. And that makes the challenge, you know, mentally so much as physically, like it, all the work he'll do in practice to get ready to, for his next start, you know, when things don't go well out of the gate, um, you can add a little pressure to yourself. You can, you know, you can start to press a little bit and that's never been his game. And so, you know, that's Wade's job right now is to make sure he, when he does get back in there, he doesn't feel like he has to press or have to do too much and lets the play come to him. It's the easiest thing to say. And oftentimes the hardest thing to do as a goaltender, um, not to try too hard to just sit back, be patient, let the play come to you. Uh, that next shot mentality to not worry about the past, not, you know, worry about the project into the future, stay in the moment. It's all these things that are so easy to say as goalies. And yet when things don't go well, they get harder and harder to do on the ice. And Kevin, we should mention again that Lauren Brassois will get the start tonight versus the Coyotes. Hellebuck obviously played last night versus Buffalo. I'm not sure if you saw that or for those who people who are just joining us now, LB will get the start versus the Coyotes. And, you know, I, I texted this you, to you as well, Kevin. Like, I wanted to ask you about the uh, expected 2025 World Cup of Hockey, and it brought up a, a very interesting debate on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show about who the goaltenders would be for Team Canada and who the goaltenders will be for Team USA. And I think you would agree it's a lot clearer who the goaltenders, at least two of the goaltenders, will be for, for Team USA, right? Hellebuck, Ottinger, Demko, Jeremy Swayman, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, how close, you know, he would be. And that's why I want to ask you about kind of who you would uh, expect to be the starting goal, goaltenders for the U.S. and, and Canada. Canada, I, I mean, I, I told Dave kind of like my list, and I realize my list really means nothing. Um, but I think Aiden Hill has to be on that list. And are, are Carter Hart and, and, and Jordan Bennington not also, uh, you know, the front runners? I'm not sure. I think you maybe have to throw in Darcy Kemper in there. But I guess... 
who do you think right now are the top? I'm putting you on the spot, but who are the top three goaltenders for each country? And also, kind of where does it where what does it say about the state of goaltending? When to me, at least, clearly the U.S. has has a big advantage in goal right now at that level. Yeah, no, I mean the Americans have been doing a great job with their they call it their 51 and 30 program, the goal of the program, uh, their goalie coaching program, which brings in you know, coaches and elite level goalies every summer and gets them together sort of like a think tank thing and make sure the young guys are have mentors in, in, in the established guys and make sure that coaches are progressing and they've got more coaching at the youth level. Like they've done a really nice job with that program. And of course, 51 and 30 for those that have never heard, it means the goal of the program is to have 51% of the minutes played in the national hockey league um, with, with an American flag next to them, like American goalies playing 51%. It's an ambitious goal of NHL minutes by the year 2030. And man, when I look at the top of the the list in terms of goals saved above expected, even got the old timer in there and Jonathan Quick, who's uh, man, nice bounce back with the Rangers that I didn't see coming. Frankly, I thought that that was a decision based on his numbers the past couple of years that might hurt the Rangers, but he's playing controlled and contained and within the edges of his crease, like rarely passed heels out. And he looks great. You mentioned Demko. Charlie Lindgren's got a, f- a plus 5.7 adjusted save percentage right now. Jeremy Swayman, obviously Connor Hellebuck, um, Jake Ottinger. Like, there's no shortage of good choices for the Americans right now. And you're right, it, it's, it gets a little tougher. Um, Bennington's on my list. I'd be curious to see what the brain trust, you know, th- that's the other thing, right? It's 2023 and that's in 2025. Sure. And a lot can change. Like, who would have had Jeremy Swayman, you know, coming almost straight out of college and into the NHL and having this success and being on that radar this quickly um, a couple of years ago. And so a lot can change in a couple of years, but on the, on the Canadian side, yeah, it's, it's a little tougher, right? Like there's not as many guys at the top of that list. And the one guy who there's been consistency issues, but he plays behind a team that gives up so much and yet consistently, well, I shouldn't say consistently because there have been swings, but he's back up there right now and he's had long stretches where he's been well above expected save percentage is Bennington. And I'd be curious to see what the brain trust thinks about, you know, some of the other elements that come with Jordan uh, as your goalie, especially on an international stage. We've we've sort of seen the, the near fights and things like that. I think you'd expect them to maybe rein that in. Uh, Aiden Hill was exceptional in the playoffs. Uh, and in the right structure and right system where his, where his system of play, that inside out Benoit Lair, Sean Burke mentality works. Yeah. He's, he'd be on my list as well. Like it's Darcy Kemper's had, a, you know, last year wasn't terrible, but he's having a tough start this year. Like, where is he, where is he a year from now? Carter Hart's been pretty good this year in Philadelphia, but you know, big ask there in terms of a team that's not ready to compete. There, there's one other guy. Sorry, I was going to throw is Devin Levi. You know, a couple years from now, once yeah. his game is matured, is he not also in that conversation? Right. I would, I would think Devin would be in that conversation. Other guy, like, think about it this way in terms of how fast things change. Aiden Hill's in the conversation now. He wasn't last year. Three, two, two and a half years ago. When was the last time we were talking Olympics? Time is a flat circle <laughs> since the pandemic. I can't remember. But the last time we had an Olympic conversation, one of the guys that was being mentioned as part of that young group coming up was Mackenzie Blackwood. Mm-hmm. Like there's still plenty of time for Mackenzie Blackwood who has all the physical tools and size in the world to put himself on that list. So there's potential there, but certainly it's a lot less certain than what the Americans have right now or what the Swedes have right now or what the Russians have right now. And I'm not saying it's time for a conference and figure out what's going on with goaltending in Canada. Like we're not at that degree. 
Um, but yeah, like the guys behind me on the wall, Price and Luongo are gone, right? So yeah. who's next? Mark Andre Fleury's going to be pushing forty by then, probably not an option. So um, you know, there's a lot of countries that have a lot more options in that than Canada does. Doesn't mean Canada can't still get it done with what they have, but um, boy, you'd like to see that list be a little bit flipped, especially with the Americans. You know, Kevin, you mentioned size, so I'm going to ask you a size question. Uh, I was looking at, you know, Thomas Milich, the Jets' 2023 fifth rounder, of course, reigning WHL goalie of the year with Seattle, took them, uh, did some things in the Memorial Cup, of course, in your neck of the woods. So when you when you think of a, a he's a six foot goaltender here in Winnipeg, obviously we've been watching Connor Hellebuck, six foot four, and it's funny because when I did a search on shorter goalies in the NHL, I found a Kevin Woodley article from 2018 saying shorter goalies find niche in what has become a big man's position. So how hard is it for a guy who is, you know, six feet to be able to get that level? We saw again, Millich went down to the ECHL, started with Norfolk, picked up his first shutout, was player of the week, went to the HL, got his first win last night in Belleville. He's definitely a battler, but what does a goalie like that have to do to get to that next level to become an NHL regular? Just be better than everyone else. And and that's the reality because, <laughs> no, like, listen, like, like <clears throat> there's a perfect size, right? Like, and I, I've had different goalie coaches, you know, theorize on this. It might be around 6'3". Some think it might be as small as 6'2". There's an ideal size. And whether it's, say, let's, let's pick 6'3". If that's your perfect size goaltender, then goaltenders on either end of that spectrum have to overcome their size. 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, bigger holes, not as fast laterally. Six one, six two. You don't take up as much space, um, but you're probably going to be quicker. Uh, footwork, edge control. Watch UC Soros play. You know, and again, a little bit of a struggle this season. But for the last two years, he's been one of the best goalies in the National Hockey League. Frankly, it's absurd he wasn't a Vesna Trophy finalist last year. He is the only one whose numbers came anywhere near. Well, at least Gustafson was there too, but in, in a much smaller sample. But Saros was the only one that had a legitimate case behind Lena Salmark. He's been really good for a lot of years. Dustin Wolf is a two-time American Hockey League goalie of the year in his first two years of pro. The game is incredibly quick east-west. Teams are creating dynamic lateral offense. You have to be able to skate in today's game. And so, yeah, 6'3", if you can skate in your 6'3", that's better than being six foot and skate. Um, but it's all about movement, beating, you know, Movement, crease presence, edge control, the ability to get around that crease, get set, get square before the shot. And yeah, you have to have battle and you have to have all those other elements, regardless of what size goaltender you are. But you can succeed at that height. Um, it's just harder because even though there might be an ideal size and there's challenges on either side of that spectrum, the kid who's 6'6 is going to get every opportunity for his size to fail and the kid who's six foot is going to get a lot fewer. Like his failures will be seen differently and he will not get as many opportunities. It's too bad because, you know, um, I mean, look at, it's only in recent last couple of years that we had like a Vesna trophy. Like you had to go back to Dryden to find a Vesna trophy winner above six, four until the last three or four years. Um, same with a cup winner up until Vasilevsky and, and now Aiden Hill, right? Like it's, we obsess with it. Obviously it's better to fill more space. But smaller goalies can succeed in part because they have such little margin for error coming up through the ranks. They skate better. They move better. And that's increasingly becoming what you need out of a goaltender at the NHL level. So I think the window's open. It's just a matter of you know, Thomas Millich is a guy who some teams won't even look at because of his size. 
Um, and good for the Jets for looking past that. Now it's up to him to prove that they were right. Uh, there's certainly no shortage of recent examples of young goalies that are, are showing they're capable of overcoming it. I think Devin Levi will show he's capable at the NHL level with more time. I think Dustin Wolf will do the same. And I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Millich, with what he's done at the other levels with that size, follows in their footsteps. Maybe not to the same degree, but showing that they're able to be NHL goaltenders. Kevin Woodley covers the Vancouver Canucks for NHL.com. He covers goaltending for In Goal Magazine, big friend of ours here on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Kevin, thanks so much for this this morning. Have a great rest of your Saturday. Really appreciate your time and insight. Off to the rink for Canucks cracking today, boy. So it's a good day. Uh, it's sunny on the West Coast and there's hockey on. It's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. The decade of darkness is over. The sunshine bright. On <laughs> that the was also coast. the tentative title of the story of a legal curve, by the way. Decade of darkness. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Well, Take care, buddy. Have a good one. Cheers, guys. Kevin. Yeah, he goes. Kevin. Woodley Kevin wasn't even touching that one. He's like, you know what? I'm yeah. Not gonna. Not gonna. Discretion say is the better part of valor. Is what that is an example of right there. Uh, courtesy of our buddy Ken Weeb. Uh, this from Jets head coach or Jets associate coach uh, Scott Arneal. Dominic Toninato is an option to play tonight. He's here as a precaution. Mm-hmm. Arneal isn't sure if he's going to make any changes on defense yet for tonight's game versus the Coyotes. So question marks abound for the Winnipeg Jets on both the back end and up front. But we know that Laurent Brossois will get the start against Karel Vamelka, and game time is shortly after 6 p.m. with the post-game show coming your way at 8.45. We also don't know who's going to be joining Dave M. Maybe nobody. Maybe it's the Dave Manouk experience tonight. I might just skip it. It's just going to be a blank screen. That's just it. There's there's no post game, something like that. We'll just see. But uh, somebody will be here at 845 to talk about the Jets and the Coyotes. That'll happen later on tonight. And we look forward to all of you joining us back here for that. Uh, other news coming out of Boston. Milan Lucic was arrested earlier today uh, for a domestic incident. He's taking a leave of absence from the Boston Bruins. An indefinite leave of absence following his arrest earlier today. So uh, obviously we uh, we hope that that situation gets resolved and Milan Lucic gets uh, whatever sort of help he needs if he's in need for, of some help. We we obviously don't want that situation to continue to escalate along those I think lines. we have a couple of co-hosts now, Drew. Spencey and Kenny's Water Bottle. There you go. I think it's a great show. I, I, I can't see any problems with that idea whatsoever. I think it's going to be smooth sailing if that's... Uh, By the way, it will be coming show. to you live from the hot tub. There you go. Live from the hot tub. It's the Manuk, Spency, and Water Bottle show. I can't. What a beautiful show that'll be. Uh, big thanks to all of our sponsors. Uh, Rumors Restaurant and Comedy Club, Linden Market Dental Center, Zapia Group Realty, Betway, Farmery Beer, home of Illegal Curve Lager, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rolly's Transfer, and of course, the Rink Guys support these fine businesses because of their continued support of Illegal Curve Hockey. Big thanks to all of you for joining us this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Yes, as Bailey's mom, Amy, says, please have a safe weekend. Please don't drink slash smoke and drive. Absolutely right. No excuse for doing that ever. A phone, you know, you can save a life by making a phone call or calling a ride uh, for a ride, a cab or an Uber or whatever it might be. Be safe out there, folks. We know it's going to be a fun weekend. Go Bombers tomorrow night, the Grey Cup. We know we're cheering them on as he's made his prediction. God help us all if that comes true. But uh, hopefully, enjoy the weather. 
until the post game show until the jets game it's plus six out today so get outside get outside get outside enjoy your day whatever you got planned we'll be back later on tonight for the illegal curve post game show for dave manuk for ezra ginsburg i'm your host drew mandel if it's saturday it's the illegal curve hockey show thanks everyone for joining us thanks for listening to this broadcast from illegal curve hockey for more great illegal curve content subscribe to the illegal curve youtube channel Follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.